Hey everybody, Jeremy Dahlman here with the young boy Josh Smith. Uh, another week, and we got to start the show with uh, another cold open, talking about all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world of professional wrestling right now. Um, unless you've been under a rock, you you should know on Twitter the hashtag speaking out has been trending all weekend with um, victims coming out and sharing their stories um, of. You know, disgusting stuff that's happened to them in the pro wrestling world. Um, you know, I, I'm happy that these women are speaking out and getting their stories out, and that uh, we're getting uh, the wrestling business cleaned up of all these scumbags who are doing these awful things. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. Um, feels like we have to do one of these cold opens like once every couple weeks with uh how many you know things have happened you know outside of the wrestling industry and inside of it you know it's uh it's kind of unfortunate but um you know me me and Jeremy we haven't really just we didn't even know if we were going to do a cold open or kind of address this because you know some of these issues honestly I'm not saying that you know, Japan or Japanese wrestling is exempt from them, but, you know, in light of the, uh, you know, most of the allegations that are being made, um, really kind of center more on like the Western side of wrestling, but we'd be remiss to, to not at least discuss it to some degree. Uh, even though this show's not necessarily about that, I think it's important. You know, we, I don't, I don't think we should like pretend that, you know, the elephant isn't in the room, obviously. Right. Definitely not trying to sweep it under the rug. Um, I know several of you guys have reached out during this COVID period and talked about how this show has been a great distraction for all stuff going on. But, you know, we just we don't want to forget. We don't want to just pass over all the big issues that are going on. So at, at times we are going to cover this stuff. And I'm sorry if we're kind of bringing you back in the real world. But we got to talk about this just for a little bit. Yeah, I guess what I'm about to say um I'll just say this. These are my personal thoughts and opinions. They don't necessarily reflect that of the network or even the show or Jeremy or anything of that nature. And I I hope I say the right things here. Um, I don't want to misspeak or, you know, um, overstate or anything like that. But obviously there is an issue and there's a problem in the wrestling industry right now as it comes to, uh, all types of different uh, abuse, abuse of power, abuse of position, you know, uh, pedophilia, grooming, um, sexual misconduct, uh, just general lasciviousness. Like, it's really bad. And it's, um, you know, wrestling in general is not uh, the only one that, you know, has experienced this. We saw what happened with the Me Too movement, you know, the past couple of years. And, you know, I think it's something that's always kind of, been known especially if you are deep in the wrestling industry if you operate in it at all or have a knowledge of what the boys were like back in the days uh this really doesn't come as too much of a shock to you but as these allegations have kind of grown and there's been more and more you know um people sharing their stories sharing their experiences and kind of uh confessing as to the things that have been done to them um it's, it's just very clear that there's a big problem here. Um, what I will say is like, um, you know, my opinion is if you're in this wrestling industry, um, and you're using it as some sort of platform to 
hurt and abuse people and to manipulate them and, you know, to, uh, use them as, you know, a, a sex object or, you know, uh, exert some sort of power control over them. That's, it's just really wrong. Uh, you know, um, I don't think that that sort of stuff should be tolerated whatsoever in 2020. And, um, you know, I think it's important that we listen to what is being said um, and don't discount them. I know there's a lot of people who, uh, from all different walks of life, kind of want to have a hot take on this sort of thing and, you know, kind of de- determine, you know, what stories are or aren't valid, you know, what the repercussions are going to be, you know, and kind of play detective. And, um, you know, this kind of can almost be made into like a political issue. And the reality is, it's a human rights issue, you know, uh, and it's a, it's a story about abuse. And um, it, it's important that we listen to what is being said. And, um, you know, hopefully justice is carried out, um, you know, in situations where it's needed to be. I think it is a great thing, ultimately. I'm, I'm not happy that this is happening for the sake of, uh, you know, those that it's happened to. But I think it's great that, there, we're starting to cultivate a culture or an atmosphere where people who have been victimized um, are kind of um, able to kind of come forward and, and speak their mind and kind of share their experience. And, you know, um, ultimately, I know that there's a lot of people that think that, you know, sometimes people do things like this for attention, but the majority of the people coming forward, honestly, are people in the wrestling industry, female workers, as well as, you know, some male, but mostly female who oftentimes if they came forward, this would not benefit their career. This is not going to help them get signed to a major company. It's not going to help them get dates. Um, you know, this, this, in this specific industry, it's uniquely different to where most of the people who are coming forward, is not going to benefit them. So it, you know, it has to cause you to wonder, with the sheer number of stories that are coming out and the the bad repercussions that generally would be doled out for those who did speak up, um, there's clearly an issue here. The last thing I will say, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to uh, misspeak, but obviously I will say this. Um, I think it's important that before any sort of like ultimate judgment comes out as far as all these allegations go. I think it is important to kind of, um, kind of wait and see how things shake out just in general. Um, you know, in situations where it's very apparent what has occurred and you know, the, the proof is there, the evidence is there, you know, that's one thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, there will be, Unfortunately, some some instances where allegations will be made and they might not necessarily be founded. And just as much as we want victims to be heard and believed, and that is the primary thing here, you don't want to also victimize someone who might not have done anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, just because we're all people and, you know, um, there should be an idea of justice. Um and, I, and I'm not saying that to stick up for anybody or say that that I believe that there's a good number of these things that are unfounded. I don't think that's the case. I think there's a good reason why we're seeing so many of these. But um, I, I am hearing a lot of people saying, like, you know, 
once an allegation is thrown out, that is it. They did it. And, you know, we don't always know that. And so it is important to kind of just see what takes place. And I'm not calling anybody a liar or anything of that nature. I'm just saying, you know, it's important to kind of figure out the facts, figure out what's happened here. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, I, I've seen some people say that with these women coming forward and making these statements that they're not protecting the business, that the reality of the matter is that the people in power, the men and women who, mostly men, but the people who have perpetrated these acts, they're the ones who were not protecting the business. They're the ones who have besmirched the craft and, you know, this thing that we all love. And, um, you know, I hope those people go. Yeah. Whoever they are. I mean, from bookers to creative talents, referees, entering performers, um, people in the office, we've, we've seen stories pretty much come out on, on every position and, and it's sickening and I absolutely agree with you. Um, I know, you know, there's the old saying, you know, protect the business, protect the boys, but, um, that, that has to change. And I'm glad that these stories are coming out and that, you know, um, Actions being taken, people are being released and removed from positions and uh, being forced out of, out of promotions, um, and that's and that's protecting the business and that's that's saving the business for the future and making it a, a better, um, a safer working environment all across the board. Yeah, these these brothers and sisters, as they like to call themselves, you know, be a good brother, be a good sister. Like that's do this, your sister. <laughs> you know, right? You know, and generally speaking. You verbally meant abuse somebody like you, you don't do that to, to someone that's your family you know and so it's like if you're doing that like they are the business you know these people that, that everyone is screenshotting their dms and you know um cyber assaulting them and you know i haven't even really been on twitter because it's just accessible right now and you know you hear stories about these people trying to share their story and people are freaking out on them it's like they're the business <laughs> Right, and they're they're and and they're, and they're getting hurt by the by that same business. So you know they're the ones that need to be protected. Exactly, and um, one last thing before we kind of close up this little segment here. So um, one New Japan name that has been um, mentioned throughout these these allegations and speaking out. There, there have been a few. Yeah, but uh, one of the ones that we've been getting questions about, and one of the main one of the main stars, uh, Will Ospreay. Um, has been brought up from the situation a, a few years ago where um, one of his friends was accused of something and he was uh, trying to protect them and got somebody blackballed. And uh, so that kind of resurfaced throughout this weekend. And there's been a lot of debate on Will Ospreay. And we had two questions. We had a question from a uh, Reddit user Viking Pain saying, uh, the speaking out movement has implicated some New Japan wrestlers for their actions in the past, particularly Will Ospreay. Should New Japan issue a public statement about this since they become a global wrestling company? And at Jack Shears Grapp says, with all the speaking out accusation, is it wise for New Japan to keep Will Ospreay under contract? You know, um, I don't know how they'll deal with it, to be honest with you. Um, I can't remember if too many major sexual cases that uh, sprung up that New Japan never like really dealt with directly. Um, the, the ones that do come to mind are like maybe say situations where infidelity was involved and those kind of came to light, like with Tai Chi and Shibata and um, uh, recently with Taka Michinoku, that sort of thing. That's taken very seriously over there. 
But when it's a Gaijin worker, the only thing that I can really think of offhand is uh, the allegations that I think are kind of resurfacing, but were uh, made against Michael Elgin years ago, probably like two or three years ago. And they they didn't really deal with it or make public mention of it. At the same time, Michael Elgin wasn't um, necessarily their highest profile gaijin. He, he was pretty high, but by the time that that stuff was coming out, he was already kind of de-escalating on the cards due to injury and inactivity and uh, other people kind of rising up in the meantime. Um, and you did kind of notice that I have to imagine that some of his like de-push probably did stem from that sort of stuff mm-hmm. uh they, they they were never able to really use him in any meaningful way after that in the states uh he kind of was just a japanese only attraction um until they parted ways and that's a totally unique and different situation from um you know what's going on with will i i don't know how they deal with it or handle it um it they might be kind of insulated enough to where they don't really have to make mention of it. I'm not saying that's the, the way to go, but that's they might be quiet about it and just kind of uh, move on. Excuse, excuse me, uh, kind of move on. Um, but ultimately, if they do deal with it, I guess it kind of depends on what they end up finding, you know, and uh, what ends up being proven. I from from what I've seen, it doesn't really look good for Will. Um, some of the statements that he's made seem to be contradictory to facts that can be proven by, you know, other wrestlers and promoters. But ultimately, I guess it just kind of depends on how they view it culturally, if that makes sense. Yeah. And as far as if they should make a public statement, maybe, I mean, this is something, it's not a new situation, it's something that's happened about three years ago. And it, it was kind of a big deal when it first kind of started coming out. And we don't know if New Japan did anything about it, if they investigated, if they punished Will Ospreay and just never said anything about it or what, how they feel about the whole situation. Um, I, I don't think this stuff was really, uh, I know some of it was made public at the time, but I don't think it really touched Japan. So I, I have to imagine that this would be like a new situation for them, especially just given the, uh, uh, you know, the new kind of light that's being shed on all of it and the attention it's getting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, I honestly I don't know what the the right call is if you keep him under contract or not or you, you get rid of him. Um, but like you said, no New Japan. A lot of what they do is kind of based on what is kind of culturally acceptable in Japan. You know, we, we've seen in the past like Takamichi Noku or any kind of stuff like that where people are cheating in their on their wives or getting involved in a scandal. They will release them and mm-hmm. put a statement out there. But Osprey, I mean, he's now living in Japan, but don't know how this story really affects things in Japan, how New Japan sees it. Yeah, I guess it, it just kind of depends with that. As far as like my personal opinion, I don't really know enough about the situation to make a, a direct statement. It's kind of what I was talking to prior. I'd I'd hate to say like, absolutely, you know, he's done. They should never work with him, you know, and maybe some of the things that have been alleged aren't true, you know. Maybe they are, and if they are, there needs to probably be some sort of appropriate action. I just, uh, you know, I'm not in the position to really say what that is because, again, I don't know the full situation personally. Yeah, same here. I mean, I've been trying to do my research and kind of see what's going on, but 
I don't know the full story. I don't know, and we don't know the full truth. We don't know exactly who's part of what story is real. Um, and so I don't want to, again, like you were saying, just come out and say, yeah, Will, Will should be done. It's a wrap, you know, get him out of there. So, you know, we'll be keeping our eyes on the situation and um, obviously we'll keep you updated on any news and coverage that comes out of the Will Ospreay scenario. So I think that's going to wrap up this little segment here. Um, enjoy the rest of the show, guys. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. How's it going, everybody? This is Mike Sempervivi, a Wrestling Observer Live in the Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare, located over at WrestlingObserver.com. We want you to listen to our show, but we thank you very much for checking out Keeping It Strong Style here on the Social Suplex Radio Network. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be reviewing the first three nights of the New Japan Cup, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network and keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prostentees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments that provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SUPLEX. All right, young boy, we're back at it. New Japan Cup action. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we have a first <laughs> in the history of keeping it strong style. We did, after that awesome cold open that you guys just heard, we recorded what, quite frankly, was the greatest... 20 minutes of opening dialogue that we have <laughs> ever done only for Jeremy to stop the recording and say, Oh, we're, we're not recording. Yeah. I don't know what happened, man. Botchamania on my part of, I don't know, maybe the, the cold open threw me off and maybe I thought I pushed your core on the second segment to start this show, but I didn't. So I botched. So we just lost that, you know, 20 minutes of audio gold there. God, I mean, <laughs> So many things we could have done with that 20 minutes. We will never get that back. That 20 minutes would have changed the wrestling podcast world. It would have changed the industry. It would have. 
<laughs> oh man. But yeah, New Japan Cup. Happy New Japan's back. The tournament's been very exciting so far. We've had um, some very good matches. We've had some great matches, some match of the year candidates. Yep. Well, as I said uh, on the first recording, I'm just glad to have a reason to live again. Uh, you know, we haven't had New Japan since February. I put on a brave face for all you, you know, for everybody. You know, I, I told you it was fine, that everything was going well. It was not fine. It was a struggle. It was a grind each and every day. And it wasn't until literally night one that I was like, I have purpose in this world again. <laughs> new Japan is back. <laughs> yeah, so happy to have our New Japan back. And uh, like we mentioned, you know, a tournament was a great way to come back. You can tell the stories within the tournament. And that's what we've been seeing in this New Japan Cup. We've been seeing a lot of great stories. And it's just been very exciting watching everything come uh, play out. Yeah, I, I love that they're doing that because, you know, we kind of wondered how things were going to progress, you know, after the long layoff. What 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 did this all kind of mean? How are we going to kind of get invested? And like you mentioned, we kind of alluded to the idea that a tournament might be a good idea. But not only have they just brought in a tournament, which in and of itself, you know, adds prestige, stakes, and things of that nature. New Japan has done what they consistently always do, and that's tell long-form storytelling within the confines of those tournaments. And they've literally taken us from, like, almost feeling like there's no way that they there could be any continuity to suddenly it's like, oh, everything's great. Like, got stories, we got stakes, you know, we got investments. Uh, I'm, you know, and you can kind of, you're just kind of eyeing some of the potential uh, match matchups that are like down the line. You kind of see how it's all shaking out and it's, uh, you know, keeping you guessing. And there's been quite a few upsets and, you know, it's, it's just been really awesome to kind of have this back, you know, after all this time. Yeah, every match means something. Even the multi-man tags that they're previewing um, the next round of matches. That's a lie. That's a lie. Don't tell people that. That's a lie. <laughs> I mean, dude, you know, we tell people all the time. There's little seeds that they plant in those multi-man matches that play out down the line. Um, I, don't, I don't like New Japan. They got eight-man tags on every single show. Well, well, you know, I'm just going to say Clyde because I'm thinking of Ricky and Clive. Well, Clive. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back. Which, I'm, which I am so glad that they're back, by the way. Uh, but it, this is a different Clive. This is not, you know, Clive Clive. This, this is fictional Clive. Well, Clive, I'm tired of seeing Seth Rollins wrestle Dolph Ziggler for the 18th time this year on Monday Night Raw. You know, that's, that's what I don't like. <laughs> g- g- give, me, give me the fast-paced LIJ, you know, 10 man anytime i don't care yeah um so we're gonna talk about new japan cup here the first three nights and i watched the new japan cup using the njpw ext the only browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode improved translations and layouts custom and shared playlists synchronized viewing parties and much 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 more it takes njpw world to the next level you can visit njpwext.us today to get more details like we mentioned last week, one of my favorite features is that spoiler-free mode that kind of blurs out any potential spoilers on NJPW World. And, you know, New Japan, um, it was airing live our time, like 6 a.m. Eastern. You know, I- I'm not all the time getting up to watch the shows live. And, you know, there are people trying to spoil your boy in uh, Twitter threads. <coughs> and, sir Sam. Uh, but your, boy, <laughs> your, your boy's too smart for that. I, I'm, I'm blocking notifications. I'm using my, my spoiler blocker on the NJPW EXT, and I'm, I'm not getting spoiled out here. You know, um, 
as infuriating as a spoiler might end up being, that's nothing compared to trying to use the actual NJPW World app and just go forward. Just going forward in small increments, it seems like it should be so simple. It is not. But that's not the case with the NJPW extension. They have now added a 10-second backwards and 10-second forward feature, and it has changed my life. (laughs) Danny's doing God's work, man. Yeah. And uh, one last plug to uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com, doing a weekly column with Sir Sam and Imp. You've heard those guys here on our show before. And um, team up with those guys to do weekly New Japan Cup review columns. So every week we are dropping our top three performers, top three matches of the tournament. So you can check that out at WrestlingHeadlines.com. And on uh, JoshuaSmith.com, I will be be writing my critique of Imp, Sam, and Jeremy's uh, (laughs) weekly. (laughs) You'll be burying us every week. No. I'll be listing my uh, top three uh, article writers in order, um, and I'll be uh, mentioning who I think has uh, the good takes and who's got the, the hot dumpster fire trash takes <laughs> to let y'all know. If they put in and out trash, you're going to rip them to bits. <laughs> oh, uh, Sam, was it Sam or Imp who asked us to do this? To do what? To, to be involved with the article writing. Uh, Sam. Yeah, so Sam asked us, and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm much too busy. And then I was like, I'm going to be busy with my own project, writing about y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's talk about New Japan Cup. Uh, what were your overall thoughts first three nights? You know, man, um, last week, I, I got to say, I had some real big reservations after watching the Together show, which essentially was a empty arena road to show. Uh, I thought, you know, we, we, we discussed it last week. I don't, I don't need to rehash it, but I think one of my initial feelings was that maybe the empty arena might still be a detriment. You know, the atmosphere might not, you know, be conducive to what we're used to seeing. And I, I wasn't totally sure how it would all shake out once tournament matches sort of started. Um, not saying I was completely off base, but I got to tell you, a lot of that has definitely been alleviated starting with night one of the New Japan Cup. It's been awesome. Yeah, definitely agree with you. Um, you know, the the atmosphere you would think would be thrown off with no fans. And, and you know, it does take some adjustment to get to, but I thought they did a great job overall with the matches and the structures. You know, there wasn't too many playing to the crowd. And, you know, I watched all three shows with Japanese commentary. Let me tell you, the Japanese commentary for me helped a lot. They were yep. so excited. Milano and um, Liger. I mean, those are the only two names I really know. But the, the whole commentary team each night have done a fantastic job getting into it. So excited. So amped. It got me fired up. There were so many times where I was pulling a Joe Lanza and, and pacing around the dojo and getting so pumped about these matches. Yeah. Um, and I even found myself cheering for particular matches that, you know, struck me as being great because, you know, we, we are kind of you know, hungry and thirsty for, uh, you know, great wrestling, which there's been a lack of that ever since COVID-19 started. Like, yes, there's been accept- acceptable shows and, you know, good matches, but uh, truly great matches have been few and far between. So it's like, you know, once they start happening, I'm like freaking out, like out <laughs> of my seat, like it's yeah. incredible. 
and I'm almost kind of making up for that lack of audience uh, myself. Um, I have yet to listen to any Kevin Kelly's commentary. Now, he's obviously Kevin is not there in Japan uh, due to, you know, travel restrictions and everything of that nature. So he's been unable to actually call any of these shows live. So he is uh, working, you know, overtime doing tape delay uh, commentary. So they've been doing a pretty good job putting uh, video on demand shows of these uh, New Japan Cup nights with English commentary out, just a single man booth, just Kevin. But I don't know if they're good or I'm sure they're good, but I don't know what the experience is like because I too, I'm, I'm watching them in real time so we can cover them for the show. And I'm, I'm just watching in the Japanese commentary, which like you said, has been very lively. Yeah, and there'll be one match that we'll talk about in particular where I think the Japanese commentary might have helped. Um, you know, one of the guys in our group was like, yeah, you guys were, were kind of high on this match. I mean, you know, I watched it with English commentary, and I don't know. It seemed, you know, kind of regular to me. So, and we'll talk about that match in a second, but, yeah. Huh, that's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the Japanese commentary, I know some people, they, they, like, they like the English and want to wait for the English, but, you know, like we said, we watch in real time to, you know, get our reviews and reports done for this show. And Japanese commentary has been excellent. Yeah, I agree. All right, so uh, let's start off with night one here. So night one, we kicked off with New Japan Cup action. First round matchup between Togi Makabe and Yota Suji. Um, yeah, so uh, I'll keep this brief. I start going to a long diatribe the first time we recorded this about <laughs> Yota Suji, but um, at the end of last year, some of the earlier praises we had kind of vaulted on Suji, we started kind of step back on those. Cause we, after like seeing him in the, uh, the young lions cup and things of that nature, he just didn't seem to be progressing at the rate he had been previously. And maybe even was, uh, falling back. Like he, he seemed better months prior to that. And I, we weren't really sure what the case was, you know, um, maybe like for, for his non progression, but things just didn't seem to be on the uptick for him. And then, after COVID happens, we come back and this guy, A, he looks incredible. It's like he decided to just buy a bunch of elk from Joe Rogan or something and he's just <laughs> been eating that nonstop because he's a beefy boy, man. I mean, he he is huge. And, um, you know, he worked on his tan, so he's getting that vitamin D, trying to fight off, you know, the, the, the COVID-19. But, man, he just looked fantastic. Not only that, he worked fantastic. It was like... Uh, Suji from a year ago, but times like three. He, <laughs> this is the best that I've seen him look since his debut, um, and it was very, very encouraging. And also, it helps a lot that Makabe was energized, motivated, and he took five bumps in this match. Jeremy, <laughs> wow, that's like above five the, bumps. That's above the quota. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, what, did, what were what were your thoughts on this match, man? I absolutely agree with you on your comments on Yota Suji. Suji looked great. He looked great in that Gabriel Kidd match on the Together Project show. He looked great here against Makabe. I mean, right from the opening bell, he speared Makabe, and he was fired. Yeah. He was fired up the whole match. He was like on ten from the bell, and selling was great. Um, just his entering movements, everything that Suji did was just. I, I was I was loving it. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was great. Obviously, I think these uh, both of these competitors kind of knew what was at stake. It's the first match of a very important tournament, you know, given world events and where we're sort of at. They sort of had to set a certain sort of tone, opener of a big show. So, I mean, they, they had a lot riding on it. And, you know, um, 
there were moments in this match. Makabe looked great. Uh, Suji looked great. But there were moments where they really teased the idea that Suji might be able to, to beat Makabe. Mm-hmm. Now, I think from a uh, from a rankings perspective, you talk about the three different young lions. It's not completely unimaginable that Suji might have been able to upset Makabe. Makabe is a little older. Suji's a big, you know, strong, huge, you know, young lion who's also put on weight. Uh, and also he's coming off a big win the night before, like you mentioned with Gabriel Kidd. So it seemed possible, but even with that all being still being the case, I mean, Makabe is still a very loved and revered character, not just in New Japan, but also in pop culture. Uh, the kayfabe kind of, he's still protected and still, uh, you know, booked strong, even in comparison to some of those New Japan dads who, you know, are are similar as far as working ability at this point. But uh, I thought these guys went out there. They didn't overstay their welcome. Eight minutes. It was hard hitting. It was pretty well paced for considering who was involved in it. And um, it actually made me excited for the potential of Makabe and, you know, the, the guy that he's going to be facing in the next round. Um just because Makabe looked really good here. And I'm sure the three months helped him as well as everyone else involved with this. Yeah, he looked great. He hit one of the best power slams that he's hit in a long time. Um, and like you said, yeah, he was, you know, doing some bumps and he just looked really good in there. Uh, and, you know, powering out of that, the Boston Crab that Suji had him in was a cool spot there. And, I mean, you know, he, you know giving Suji some action here and getting some near falls on for Suji. Yeah, like you said, eight minutes. Really fun opening match, a great way to kick off the tournament. Um, Makabe ends up getting the win with a German suplex with a bridge. One, two, three. Uh, Makabe wins. Where would you have gone, uh, say, star ratings with this one? And, you know, what were your expectations? Did this meet it or exceed it? Did it underperform? Um, so I think it hit uh, my expectations. Um, trying to pull up my star ratings here. I'm uh, pretty sure I went like three and a quarter. Uh, I went three stars flat on this match. And again, eight minute match with Young Lion. I think three stars is a good, good rating for that. And had a ton of energy and it was a great way to kick off the show. Yeah, it's, I think that's a pretty fair rating. And I, uh, I'd give that a easy recommendation, you know? Yeah. So the next match... We cannot, well, I cannot give a recommendation for this match. I don't know how you, you feel about this. So the next matchup we had Toro Yano versus Giotto. <laughs> uh, how long did that match go? Nine minutes and seven seconds. You know, I, I got to tell you, um, I just, I hold Yano matches to an entirely different kind of standard than the remainder of New Japan, you know, matches. And with that being said, I didn't expect anything other than comedy tomfoolery, and that's pretty much what we got here. I I don't I wouldn't like sit here and tell you that this was a classic or highly recommended, but as far as my personal enjoyment, I don't think it was near as egregious as everyone said it was. Now I could understand why some people would say it was Jado was a mess in the ring. He looked terrible. Most of the heat from this match came from an <laughs> interfering Yujiro. <laughs> yeah. But the comedy 
for me, really landed, and I found this to be pretty humorous, honestly. Yeah, Yano was not the problem for me, and, you know, on this show, we don't really hate on Yano. I, I like Yano. I, he has a role in the promotion, and, you know, I, I, I like Yano. But the problem here in this match was Jado, and just barely able to move, and just, I don't know, man, it, it was rough. And like you mentioned, all the bumps in this match was taken by Yujiro for him for the most part, and uh, there was somebody was somebody else out there with him as well. Um, Gato was yeah. out there also, yeah, and both just constant interfering and distracting the ref, and they redid the spot with the the turnbuckle and the kendo stick from the previous match on the Together Show, and yeah, I, I would have liked this if this match was like two minutes, two minutes flat, like. I mean, I'll, I'll say this: there was, I missed the days when the premier junior tag team in uh, Bullet Club was the Young Bucks, not Gato and Jado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. It's not the same. They're kind of different. Yeah, yeah, really different. <laughs> um, no, man. I mean, what, what can I say? Is this maybe the worst? Like. New Japan match of the year so far. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. Yeah it, yeah, it probably is. But, like, I don't know. Jado, like, uh, you know, Yano getting in the ring and, like, chanting to the crowd and then, like, Gato, or Jado yeah. saying, there's there's no crowd, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. And that and then... No, well, at first he was playing to the crowd, too, because, like, Yano was like, Toro Yano, and then he was like, no, Jado, Jado. <laughs> Uh, I no, I saw someone kind of translate what was said, and it was something along the lines of like, Yano was doing it, Jada was making fun of him for it, and Yano was like, "If it doesn't work, then why don't you try it?" Mm. So then Jada, so then Jado tried it. And Yano was <laughs> like, "There's no people here, you idiot." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so wait. like that, that whole thing was pretty funny to me. Yeah. I, and at the same time, you know, you've got an overbooked, convoluted mess. Um, I don't know, like, I'm not going to tell you to go out of your way and watch it, but it was short, it was non-egregious. I mean, it's a Yano match in a, in a tournament, and it's kind of what I expected out of him and Jado. so I really couldn't be too upset about it, honestly. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure I've seen worse. Here's one thing I'll say, it wasn't boring. It, it was not boring, but I don't know. I think it, it extended its stay. It, it should have been a few minutes shorter. It could have been, yeah. yeah. But think about, like, here's the last argument I'll make for it. Think about how many awful, really long, really boring Bad Luck Folly matches we've ever seen. This was not that. This was a bunch of shenanigans, a bunch of run-ins, a bunch of comedy spots, uh, I liked when they were fighting with the kendo stick and the turnbuckle pad. Uh, the referee was just kind of all over the place. Like it was like a, it was like a comedy match. So I mean, it was whatever. Like yeah. I didn't love it. Uh, you know, ultimately, Yano picks up the win, gets the the you know the roll up, and we we move on. It's fine. Yeah, I, I gave it a smooth half star. That's fine. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things. I I feel like they told the story they wanted to tell. They had a lot of limitations going against them like i'm not going to rag on yano and Jado for not having a classic in 2020 yeah i mean like, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting a classic but i don't know uh no i've seen people be a lot more harsh than you be like miss me with this shit this is the worst for you know and i'm yeah. like come on dude like what do you what, what do you guys think like just don't watch it then you know what it is right 
yeah, I guess I never want to see Jado Russell ever again. <laughs> no, and you know it's unfortunate because I think it's really mostly down to injuries. Like, uh, right. you know, a, a few years ago he was in fantastic shape, so I'm not totally sure what happened. Yeah. Well, moving on to the next match, we had a multi-man tag action here, eight-man tag with Suzuki Goon, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Saber Jr. They defeat the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi. Yuji Nagata and Yuya Yomura. So clearly this was a, a preview match for uh, night three where a lot of these guys will be facing each other. I am sort of treating these preview matches sort of like my intermissions. Like they're they're not really that paid attention to, to be honest with you. I mean, I am watching them. I'm not I'm not gonna tell you I'm not flipping on the phone. But I'm just kind of going into autopilot, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, th- but this match was good. I mean, the interactions between, uh, you know, Golden Aces and Dangerous Techers seem to be kind of what I remember the most out of the matches, you know, just in general. Yeah, definitely that. Also, um, the interactions with uh, Suzuki and Nagata. Nagata, were yeah. good. And this came down to the end where uh, Kanemaru, he hits Yomura with a whiskey bottle. Then Suzuki hits the gotch on Yomura, gets the win. Then after the match, you got Suzuki and Nagata having a pull-apart brawl. Uh, Ibushi and Saber talking trash to each other. Um, Taichi and Saber doing double-teaming uh, on Ibushi and posing with the tag team titles. Uh, one thing that was – well, a couple things that are interesting. So Yumora hitting or getting hit with the whiskey bottle by Kanemaru, obviously they would be fighting the next uh, evening. That plays heavily into the match that they would wind up having. So when I said that these matches don't matter, I was kind of lying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jer- Jeremy uh, so eloquently pointed out that, like, there are little breadcrumbs, and that's one of them, you know, the him getting hit with the bottle – was a huge story element leading into the the next match and kind of helped with my enjoyment of it. Uh, the other thing too is I want to make mention of this. Um, it is unfortunate that Doki's on this tour, but they put Jado in that match instead. Yeah, Doki, the one guy on this on this tour that's not in the tournament, and you know we, we've ragged on Doki and kind of you know buried him. But he, he's definitely a better worker than Jado. He could definitely put out better work and would have been a great little guy to have in this tournament to eat a loss. I, you know, I think at this point I like Doki better than you do. I think I've always been like just so, ever so slightly more a little higher on him than you have been. Yeah, uh, he's, he's slowly starting to win me over just a little bit. I, <laughs> I, I'm not ready to jump on the, the Doki bandwagon yet and, you know, rock my Doki mask when I'm going to the grocery store. Um but but I'm slowly getting there. I'm I'm slowly seeing the sleaze appeal of Mr. Doki, and I definitely. It's for me. It's not a it's not a bandwagon. It's like one of those radio flyer wagons, like the little red ones you carry when you're like a little kid. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm on one of those with my shitty bent pole. What does he carry? I don't know what that thing is he carries around. It's uh. horrible looking. But uh. Yeah, no, I mean, Doki's fine. I mean, I, I just can't imagine any world where you put Jado into a tournament over Doki in 2020. Like, that makes no sense, but... Favoritism. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> huh? That favoritism. Gato putting his boy in a tournament, trying to give him some shine, give him a rub. Yeah, it's, it's something-ism. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, any any final thoughts on this match? Uh, good little preview tag match, like we mentioned. Little breadcrumbs there, oh. setting up the Kanemaru and uh, Yomura. Post match, uh, 
they you had Tanahashi and um, Zach Saber or I'm sorry, um, Tai Chi kind of going at one another and like pointing out like each other's weight and things of that nature. Was that on this show? Or was that on the Together Project show? Oh, was that night one? See, yeah, these two matches are kind of running into each other for me. Yeah, Never I mean, mind. They were very similar, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, I think that on that match. So then we had intermission, clean the ring, and back to action. We had another tournament matchup here. We had Hiromu Takahashi and Tomi Okahanma. And I've seen a lot of mixed reviews on this match, but I love this match. I enjoyed this match so much. I don't know how there could possibly be a mixed review about this match. This match freaking ruled. I mean, really, really ruled. So much so, people are going to think I'm crazy for this, but I, I really don't care. I like the first part of this match. Like, the first two-thirds of this match, I enjoyed more than the first two-thirds of the main event on this night. I ended up thinking that the main event peaked much higher, but this started hotter and was just so unexpectedly great. Um, Yeah, I mean, who would have thought in 2020 that Hanma... And Hiromu Takahashi would be putting on like a low key banger. Now I don't want to like oversell this. It wasn't like a a five star classic, but man, this was really great. Yeah, you know, this was the first time in a long time that we got anything kind of close to what Hanma used to be before the injury. You know, before the injury, Hanma was this plucky underdog that everybody was behind. Everybody wanted to see Hanma win, and he would have these fantastic. Five star matches with guys like Ishii and a lot of these different guys, and just have these great matchups. And he would always lose, but he'd always put on a great performance. And then he had the neck injury, and it just wasn't the same. But this was the closest thing that we've got since he's returned from injury and just fighting from underneath. And you know, a lot of people are kind of questioning: are they, are they going to do the Hanma formula here because he's he's facing a junior in Hiromu? But yes, they, they went with the Hanma formula. Uh, Hiromu works over the injured neck throughout the whole match And Hanma has to fight from underneath And come back and, and fight from behind And try to rally and pull out a win here And it was just a great story and you, got, you got some of that Hanma fire That Hanma mania fire that you're used to seeing Yeah, there were some uh, Very surprising And exciting spots Here in this match uh, Hiromu Takahashi delivered a Death Valley driver on the apron. Oh my gosh, I freaking screamed when that happened. <laughs> that that was really nuts. There was a moment where they're on the outside and Hiromu literally ran the entire circumference of the outside of the ring until he returned. Like he literally ran from one point, got all the way around the ring, and when he came all the way back around, he John Woo drop kicked uh, Hanma into the steel guardrail, you know, and the back of his neck. Like I don't. I don't think it really hit, but it looked. It might have, but it looked like oh, he kicked him right into the guardrail. Uh, you had um, Hanma doing Kakeshi's, you know, from the middle rope. I think he tried a top rope one. Mm-hmm. Um, we had there was uh, Hiromu's uh, Kokeshi, <laughs> his little dance that he did before his. That was hilarious. Uh, there was a there was a scary dive to the outside, right? Um, that Hiromu did. I'm trying to remember what it was. It might have been a senton or something of that nature. Yeah. I think he did an apron senton, I think. That sounds right. Um, you know, I don't have all the notes in front of me, but I mean, the uh, a lot of these 
moves. Now, keep keep in mind, I do think uh, we have to give a lot of credit to Hiromu. I think he really carried Hama to a really great match. Um, he did have to slow down his pace, obviously. Um, but at the same time, Hanma really increased his pace. Um, and we've talked about how like the three months ha- has been beneficial to a lot of people. I think Hanma, in many ways, looked good as far as his health. This might be the best he's looked, you know, since he returned. Um, not just from a work wise, you know, work standpoint, but also from a health wise standpoint. Um, this is just really surprising, and I think Hanma kind of knew the gravity of the situation that. They're putting him in, in there with a guy that they have a lot invested into, that they have a, that they see a lot of hope for the future with, and it's his first New Japan Cup, and he's a junior, and he's going over on a heavyweight, and I don't think that that in significance or importance was kind of lost on Hanma, and he um, might not be able to do everything that he did on that night every night, but for one night, he was able to kind of reverse the clock just a smidge and put on a really, really, really great performance. And there, because he's a heavyweight, there was times where he hit that Kokeshi and I was like, Oh man, no, are they really going to do this? Yeah. There was, there was a sequence starting at the, at the 15 minute mark where they're trading strikes and then Hama starts hitting a series of chops and he tries the Kokeshi, but he missed. Um, and then Hiromi went for the dynamite plunger, but then Hama blocks that. He gets a diving Kokeshi, then a standard Kokeshi, then another diving Kokeshi, and then rolled up Hiromu for a really great near fall. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things where it's like Hiromu getting a win over him is kind of important because A, it is a heavyweight, but B, it's sort of a good introduction. Like it, it, He can say, I beat a heavyweight, but then there's that asterisk next to it that, well, it's a surgically repaired an aged Hanma. It's not, you know, this is not Kazushiko Okada necessarily. So it kind of gives both of them an out as far as the, you know, the, the outcome of the match. But, um, all that being said, the match, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just really memorable. And, um, I, w- I was so happy. I, this is like the first really, really great empty arena match I'd seen from new Japan. And I, I, thoroughly enjoyed it and i i think going forward i'm gonna be looking i always look forward to Hiromu's matches but his antics and creativity in an empty environment like this is something that's kind of unique to the rest of the roster i i wonder what other ideas he has going forward I, i'm almost a little scared of them too <laughs> yeah he's definitely somebody to keep your eyes on especially when he's gonna wrestle somebody that's a little bit more uh physically able than hanma but yeah really love this thing definitely recommend it um Dave gave it three and a half on cage matches at a 6.75. Personally, I gave it 3.75. It was just a smidge away from getting to that four-star mark for me. Uh, but, yeah, really great matchup here. Yeah, I didn't think this was very far off from a four-star affair. I think um, – what did what did Dave give it? Three and a quarter? Three and a half. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't always agree with Dave. I, I see why he did that. But, yeah, I would go three and a quarter. If someone told me that they were going four – I really wouldn't fight with them. Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't wholly agree, but yeah, I mean I, I couldn't fight you on that one. Yeah, I yeah, I thought it was definitely in that range, three and three point seven five, four star range. Definitely a recommended match to watch. And I and this is the match I was talking about earlier where uh, somebody in the chat was like, I watch this with English commentary and I, I wasn't as high as you guys. So maybe maybe the Japanese commentary enhanced it too, but I, I would definitely watch it with a Japanese commentary. There's that. There's also the fact that I think also a lot of newer fans 
don't have any emotional attachment to Hanma, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that also is something that really plays into the story. I don't think your average fan would turn on New Japan World, watch that match, and really be that impressed. But when you kind of have some context to the character of you know Tomoaki Hama and the struggles, the real world struggles he's gone through, and then you know kind of put it in context, it, it, it's a great story. It's a great match. Yeah. So moving on to the main event of night one, we had here Tomohiro Ishii and El Desperado, Ishii's, Ishii's debut in the junior division. <laughs> it, t- you know what? To be honest, it's not his debut. He was a junior. I, I, I know. I know. I was just, you know. Oh, I, I had to break out that. Well, actually. Well, well actually, yes, <laughs> I, I know that Ishii was, was a junior before he uh, elevated to the heavyweight ranks, but... I'm talking well, about. What you need to know is this man's still a junior. He's always been a junior. <laughs> he never stopped being a junior, sir. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Stone Pitbull and Despy. What do you think about this matchup here? You know, um, of all the matches in this tournament, this is one that I'm high on. I don't think my rating is as, is very far off from what most people's ratings are, and yet. I'm not as high on it as everybody else was. Like I, I, the the way people talk about it makes me feel like I missed something. I really, really enjoyed the match. I thought it was really great, but I just think I'm a little lower on it than everybody else. It wasn't really until the close of the match that I truly got invested. Whereas I think a lot of other people were just like captivated right from the jump with this match. Yeah, I, I I was one of those people. I really um, enjoyed this match from um, beginning to end, and there's just so much I loved about this match. And one of the things here, you have Ishii. I just thought his selling was excellent throughout this whole match. Um, you know, Desperado was working over the knee, obviously trying to set up for his uh, stretch muffler submission hold, and he would work over the knee the whole match. And I just thought Ishii's selling of the knee was so great, and there was a spot where he attempted the powerbomb, um, but they slipped, and he immediately went to grab the knee and sold his knee for the fact that he uh, couldn't get the powerbomb and then had to fight back into it. Um, and there were just so many spots where he just he, he gave Desperado a lot and just made Desperado look like a threat and that Desperado could win, um, especially the spot where Desperado finally gets the, uh, the numero dos stretch muffler hole locked in um, fully locked in And it was just so close You thought there could have been a ref stoppage Or Ishii was going to tap out Yeah that was definitely scary um, You know Desperado is one of these guys Where here on Keeping It Strong Style We've been talking since What 2018 The end of 2017 About how improved he's been as a, as a wrestler And you know um, That people sh- really shouldn't sleep on him And we're we're kind of seeing more people wake up and become woke to that idea that you know Despy is a great worker, um, and this was really evidence to that case. Uh, I loved how he came in complete, and you know, hats off to the guy because he wears a mask. I know sometimes the mouth is cut out, but for the most part, it is really hard to convey the the type of uh, you know emotion that he is able to communicate. That's like some masterclass sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, he was able to kind of just with his body language and, and everything show what a cocky prick he was. And 
was really just uh, arrogant and belittling to Ishii. Kept telling him that he was taller than Ishii. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then when they started the match off, he slapped the Stone Pitbull right on the top of the head. And I think from there, anyone knows about the aura of Tomohiro Ishii. You just you don't do that. You don't slap this man on the head. And that was the jumping off point. From that point, like. Ishii had a chip on his shoulder, and I think those mind games really played a, a big part of the, the story. And like Ishii chopping him in the throat, you know, uh, asking him to hit him. Uh, Ishii no selling a lot of his offense. He's like, you might be taller than me, but you know, you, you're gonna get these hands, you're gonna get these elbows, you're gonna get <laughs> I, these headbutts. I'm coming like, to smash. Yeah, I'm gonna smash. Like, <laughs> and um, he hit him with a pounce, and it's like. The littlest, most effective pounce you've ever seen. Like it's incredible. Uh, but yeah, this yeah, there's so so much uh, I loved about this matchup here, and after the, the leg work, yes, dude, the, this the, the leg work on Ishii, and and then Ishii's selling of the leg work was just excellent all throughout the matchup here. Um, and this match and the Hanma Hiroma match just made me really happy that New Japan decided to throw juniors juniors in the tournament. Instead of trying to make the tournament smaller, they could have easily made it smaller and made it just heavyweights. But I'm glad they had the juniors in here, and we're getting these you know competitive open weight matches. And I love this match. I, I went four and a quarter on this thing. I'm a little less than you. I'm four, but uh, I will say this, and this is going to be surprising, I think, for a lot of people to hear this. Of the three nights we're reviewing, this is my favorite night. Night one overall is your favorite night. For an overall like flow of a show, uh, you've got a really good opener, a, a fun short comedy match, and then two really great matches that really over-delivered and also, for me, acted as what I believe are going to be preview matches for the you know the quarterfinals of that region of the block, um, at, which has really excited me. So. Absolutely. I love this night. I think it's the, the the best quality top to bottom as far as consistency, and I enjoyed it the most. Yeah, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to which night I enjoyed the most, but I did enjoy this match, this, this night a lot, and especially with those the semi-main and main, um, just really made it a home run show here. I think they over-delivered, because I think there's other shows on paper that I expected more from, and... This one, I wasn't expecting as much, to be honest with you. I thought it would be good, but I, I was like, we got one really good match at the top. And then, uh, you know, some other stuff that, you know, there's a lot of things you could have said. Makabe's older. He doesn't like to bump. Suji was kind of looking not as good, you know, last time we saw him. I mean, bro, Yano and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jado, And then you've got Hanma mixing up with Hiromu. And who knows what that looks like? And Hanma, you know... Repaired neck, Hiromu repaired neck. I mean, this really had the recipe for potentially not being that good. And these guys delivered in droves. Like, this way, way, way exceeded my expectations. I thought it was a really great night. Yeah. And on that main event, uh, Uncle Dave also went four and a quarter. Cage match has it at 7.84. So definitely a recommended match. If you have not watched this one, you definitely got to check out this main event from night one with Ishii and Desperado. Uh, so you ready to uh, move on to night two? I stay ready. <laughs> All right. So night two, we kicked off with a tournament matchup with Taiji Ishimori, the Bone Soldier, or I think we should call him Shredder from now on with his new uh, <laughs> entrance gear. He defeated Young Lion Gabriel Kidd. 
eight minutes, 53 seconds. Gabriel Kidd coming in, you know, people talking about American Dragon, you know, vibes. He gives me very strong Kyle O'Reilly vibes. I mean, um, but that's that's some great company to kind of be mentioning if you're talking about those two guys. Um, this match was good, man. Really, really, really good. I think of the, the young lines in the pecking order, it's no secret that Gabriel Kidd is the lowest on that totem pole. Um, you know, I think he was not given quite as much offense as, say, Suji or Yumura. But with that being the case, um, they told a great story here. And it was interesting, the dynamics, because even though Gabriel Kidd is a young lion, he, has, he had a size and strength advantage over, you know, former IWGP, you know, junior heavyweight champion Taiji Ishimori. But Ishimori, you know, using his heel work, his cunning tactics, his speed, um, his elusiveness. This was uh, kind of a cat and mouse uh, chase here. And I, I thought the match was just really, it was a great opener. Another really good opener back-to-back nights. Yeah, I agree. It was another great, uh, good opener here. Um, and I agree with both you and Rich. I know Rich says he sees American Dragon. You're, you've been pointing Kyle O'Reilly. I kind of see both of that uh, in him. And he has a lot of fire and some of the arm work that he was doing here um, in the, in the, towards the beginning of the match and trying to you know, really break down uh, Ishimori's arm kind of reminded me of some um, you know, Kyle O'Reilly kind of arm bar manipulation there. And, yeah, you know, he was working really hard and trying to take, off, take out the veteran here but uh, just got overwhelmed by Taiji Ishimori. Yeah, Ishimori's just got too much experience, and he's just too talented uh, to lose to a young lion like that. But uh, I, I found the match to be really entertaining. I mean, how how long did they go? Seven minutes? Eight minutes? Yeah, eight minutes, 53 seconds. Yeah, so, I mean, really short opener. Uh, good experience for Gabriel Kidd, and, um, you know, it sets the table for Ishimori's next step in this tournament. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, so uh, Ishimori, he got the win here with the yes lock, got the submission victory over Gabriel Kidd. Yeah, and there was a good story, too, just to speak to that with the with the arm work from both guys. So it was sort of like a, a dueling limb work situation. I think both of them were kind of looking for an arm submission. Obviously, Ishimori, you know, working the patented yes lock, the label lock as his finish was the one who was able to kind of more strategically implement his plan ultimately. Yeah. And I went three stars flat again on this opener here. Yeah, uh, again, three stars, eight, nine minutes. That's a good match. <laughs> yeah. uh, moving on to the next matchup here, we had Yoshinobu Kanomaru defeating Yuya Yamura, nine minutes and 32 seconds. Um, thought this was another good matchup here. They had a hot start, a great series of near falls um, at the end here. Uh, really uh, kind of interesting start here, having Yumura attack Kanamaru before the opening bell uh, and being really fired up. Kind of saw something similar with the Suji Makabe match where Suji is coming with all this fire. Well, here you have Yumura coming in. He got bashed over the head of the, the bottle the night before, so he's coming in fired up, and he really wanted to take it to Kanamaru. Yeah, he wanted his comeuppance from you know the uh, attack from Kanamaru the, the night previous. Uh, kind of reminds me of like Brian Pillman when Brian Pillman used to be a fired up babyface back in early '90s WCW. I, I like that aspect. Um, I saw someone tweet the other day. I think it was it was either Desperado or maybe it was Bushi, but they they just tweeted. They said uh, in in Japanese they said, "Yumura looks like Sonata." <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> That's all they said. And now, now that they've said that, bro, I cannot unsee it. He absolutely, bro, he absolutely looks like snot in the face. Dude, I did not see that tweet, but now that you say it and I'm picturing Yumura's <laughs> face. I'm like picturing Sonata's face. <laughs> I, I saw this on the Reddit, and and uh, the person who's posting is like, "Finally, someone said it." And and, and all the tweet says is, "You more looks like Sonata." <laughs> oh, gosh. oh man! But um, you know, bro. Speaking of beefy boys, what happened to Yumura? He is freaking thick, bro. He is. He's ripped. He's huge. Vascular. Yeah, man. Bro. He, yeah, he's on maybe on that that Aaron Nova gas plan, man. He, he's bro. He's ooh yeah. You more you on the gas, brother? Like, bro. He's on that gas, dude. Yes, Dale Gas. This man is jacked, man. Jacked to the gills. He was gigantic, man. Yeah. Um. As much praise as we gave to the other young lines, I think Imora. Right now, at least in Japan, he's top of the class. He is the guy um, stringing. He's truly like a really great hybrid wrestler. He's stringing together high flying moves, fundamentals, great mat grappling. Um, he's got incredible timing, really good facials, um, and he can go. Man, he can really, really go in there. And um, I, I with Kanemaru. Kanemaru is a great wrestler. You know, he had that incredible run back in Noah. He's had, a, you know, championship opportunities here in New Japan, but his best days are behind him. And I often don't find him to be the most compelling wrestler for my own personal tastes. Uh, when you tell me he's going to be in a singles match against a young lion, that's like, that's a throwaway for me. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, like, all right, whatever, like, you know, <laughs> but uh, this was the best of the three young lion matches, in my opinion, and a really great match on this evening. And they, these guys did awesome work. Uh, Kenemaru, when he got control, his heat segment was really interesting and, and you know, it didn't overstay its welcome. And a lot of that has to do with Humor selling. His selling is just really good. He's good at getting sympathy, even though there's no crowd. I, yeah, this and the match told an awesome story. Like I was really impressed. Yeah, and Imora, I love his uh, his double underhook belly to belly suplex that he hit that he hits. He used that here in this match. He got a good near fall over Kanamaru. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because it's so similar to what Red Narita was doing before he left for excursion to the other dojo. Uh, yeah, it's it's a similar overhead suplex, but I know I'm I'm a mark for for suplexes, especially overhead ones like that. So I I love it a lot. And I think it's a kind of a good move for him. Yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree. Obviously, suplex mark here as well. But at the same time, um, I'm just wondering if he needs to kind of diversify, or you know, um, it doesn't matter. Narita's out of the territory, so he can use the move. Yeah, Narita, you know, <laughs> took his ball and went to L.A. <laughs> <laughs> so Imora's taking up the mantle. Uh, and once again, this match, we, we saw the uh, the whiskey bottle come back into play as Kanamaru, um, you know, got the ref in the way and then tried to hit the, the whiskey bottle. But Yumura rolled him up for a near fall there. There was a lot of great um, cradles here that Yumura did. There was like three cradles for near falls that I almost, they, they had me. I thought Yumura was going to pull the upset up here. I wasn't expecting it, but I wouldn't, I would have been surprised, but. In those moments, I, I, I wasn't. I'm not gonna say I almost bit because it wasn't quite there, but I was like, eh, they could, they could go that way. I mean, that would be something, you know. But um, 
I wasn't too surprised to yeah. say that. And uh, after that, Kanemaru hits the inverted DT for a near fall, and which was kind of a big thing here for Yumura because that inverted DT, we've seen him put away other young lines with that in the past. That yeah. surprised me. Yeah, I, I, I've said it on the show before. I mistake a lot of these guys' finishers, especially if they're uh, mid card guys. I know I should know them all, but I just don't. And I was like. Oh my God! He just hit him with the deep impact, and Yumura kicked out. That is huge. <laughs> it is not the deep impact. No, yeah, it's, it's a secondary. <laughs> it's not at all. But I literally was like, I was like watching this with my girlfriend. I was like, he just, he literally just landed <laughs> deep impact, and <laughs> Yumura kicked out. I don't know what this means. What's this mean for Yumura? And I'm like, start. I start like fantasy booking in my head what what him <laughs> kicking out of his finisher means. Well, it was a secondary finisher, so still, still, still good. Um, but in my mind, it was the <laughs> finisher. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is a big deal. <laughs> it's a scorpion death drop. I mean, he kicked out a stinger's uh, finish here. <laughs> you know how devastating a real scorpion death drop would be if you if you drop someone on the back of their dome like that? That's like instant death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after that, uh, Kamar goes up to the second rope, hits the deep impact that jumping uh, DDT does, gets the win, uh, pours whiskey all over you more after the match. Yep. And away we go. I, I thought it was good. Um, I I probably go like three three and a half on that one. It was really good. Uh, I I ended up going three stars flat on that one also. Uh, again, it was in that that you know nine minute time frame. Uh, solid matchup here, but I don't know. This wasn't enough for me to uh, go higher than that. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next matchup here, we had uh, another eight man tag. I I, oh. I do just want to point out. Good friend of the show, Zach Porter, said he liked that match better than uh, the Hiromu I match. He, I think he said he liked it better than Hiromu and uh, Hanma. That's a take. I just, I just, <laughs> I, I just want to throw that out there in the ethos. What's up, Zach? I know you're listening. <laughs> Shout out to Zach. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the next matchup here, we had eight-man tag action the team of chaos Hiroki Goto show yo and Yoshihashi defeating the team of Los Ingobernables de Japón Bushi Evil Sonata and Shingo Takagi yeah um a little surprising but not necessarily if you're following the uh the inner workings of LIJ you know it's pretty I I, I don't we don't have Chris Sam's on the line but I would just imagine based off of my viewing that it feels like LIJ usually wins these multi-man matches uh, a good portion of the time. And, um, you know, they took the loss here. It's not like they don't take losses, but it makes sense given the fact that they all kind of are against each other in this tournament, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it just really feels like they're a faction divided, especially given the fact that they're, cha- they're the champion is their faction leader and they're all, kind of aiming to go after him. Yeah, a lot of interesting storytelling that we're getting here with all LIJ members being in this tournament and seeing guys not want to do the, you know, the roll call, fist bump, and you know, just them losing. You know, a lot of times they win their multi-man matches and they're such a, um, you know, in-sync unit and they flow so well together, but now we're starting to see some miscommunications and they're losing and, you know, Shingo's not putting his fist in and there's a lot of, you know, different stories that they're emulating here. That's coming out of here with these LIJ matches. Yeah, man. Um, with that being said, I, I think chaos 
and Lij in particular happened to have the best multi-man match matches against one another. Um, we've seen it a million times, but they're always good, and this was, you know, once again very good, and it gave us a preview of a lot of the, uh, you know, matchups between these guys that were would be coming up on the the next few nights. So, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, Hiroki Goto gets the win here with the Ushiguroshi and GTR on Bushi. Uh, Chaos gets the win. Uh, I do wonder if Bushi is taking a pinfall against Yo or not. Still remains to be seen. Yeah. So then we had another uh, Way to the Grandmaster hype video that played before intermission. Dude, okay. We, we've talked about who we think it is and everything of that nature, but... Um, you know, I can't. I mean, since we've been doing the show, I mean, what? How many people have they ever done this for? Like three, four? Uh, it's been a, been a handful of people, yeah. You got John Moxley with those Death Rider vignettes. Uh, Phantasmo. You, you got the Phantasmo ones. Um, Taiji. The Bone Soldiers coming. Um, I know that they've done some for uh, Jericho, I suppose. There was uh, the Hiromu, the Time Bombs coming. The time bomb's coming, and then you got Jay White when Jay White originally came in a switchblade, and I think that's like it, uh, you know, in recent memory yeah. that I can think of. Yeah, those are the ones that that come to my mind. So this feels like a a pretty big deal. I mean, you, you look at the names we just listed; those are all impact players, guys that came in and really made a difference, and and the company got you know got behind them quite a bit. What is the what does this mean? What is it going to be? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's Kuato, just like we all kind of think it is. We could be wrong. I mean, no one saw John Moxley coming, and you know, there. Ha- I don't know. I don't want to stir up speculation, but there's been a lot of releases, a lot of th- shakeups in the wrestling industry. So who knows? But Kuato seems to be the one. But I guess the one thing I'm just wondering is like, what are the plans for this guy? Because it seems to be a pretty big deal. And then what the fuck is this gimmick? Because <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, yeah. I've been questioning myself too. Every time I see the video, I'm like, "Is he gonna be like a Shaolin monk? Or like, he's, is he the Avatar? Like, what's going on here?" Bro, he's the last Airbender, bro. <laughs> he's the one that that the the prophecies foretold. Like, he's he's that one. Like, I don't know. Does, does that but, make uh, does that make Suzuki the Fire Lord? I bro, I didn't watch Avatar. I just I just know one terminology: oh, the last bro. Airbender. That's it. It's it's on Netflix, bro. You need to you need to go watch it immediately. I don't I don't have time, Jeremy, to watch a new anime show. Oh man, disappointing. I started I started watching Ashita Nojo the other day, and like I got like five episodes in. Like I, I just can't do it. I don't got time in my life. But you're busy, man. You got a lot bro, going on. A- Avatar like ran for a long time, right? Uh, there's like three seasons, I think. Only three. Yeah. Okay. Naruto is the one I'm thinking of that went really long, right? Yeah. I think they're still making Naruto episodes. God. Okay. <laughs> uh, I saw One Piece I saw One Piece came to uh Netflix, but I was like, is that the real One Piece? Like there's only like 3 seasons. Uh I'm not sure. I'll have to double check and see. I hear this. I, well, you know, that's Minoru Suzuki's favorite uh uh anime. Yeah. Yeah, so. a lot of people like the, the One Piece. Yeah. But uh, speaking but anyways, of Minoru Suzuki, that's the next matchup we're going to talk about here. Minoru Suzuki versus oh, Yuji before, Nagata. So, yeah. I just want to say this one thing before we move on. The gimmick, whatever it may be, 
it probably ultimately doesn't really matter because it's New Japan Pro Wrestling and the gimmicks are honestly very secondary. What really matters is how is this guy in the ring? What's what's his charisma going to be like? Can he get over? Can he work? Well, not can he work because Yoshihashi can work and it doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> that is not the question. That's why I threw in charisma. <laughs> Can can he can he work work? <laughs> can, can he get over? Because <laughs> Yoshihashi can work, but he cannot get over. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so moving on to this next matchup here: Yuji Nagata and Minoru Suzuki. Twenty minutes of pure excellence. Uh, we had a question here from uh, Reddit user Rambone Slam Pigs that would love to hear your thoughts on the Suzuki versus Nagata match. That match scratch and itch I've been waiting for for months to satisfy. Were you surprised by how much gas seems to be left in both of their tanks? Man, Rambo and Slam Pig had an itch that needed to be scratched and hadn't been scratched in months. And then the match that scratched it happened to be one of the most violent matches of the entire year. That man is a sadomasochist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. Um... Listen, man, Murder Grandpa versus Justice Grandpa. This was <laughs> this was incredible. Yeah. Um, I I think for sure, right now, as of this moment, this is the strong style fight of the year. Even more so than Ryu Lee and Hiromu from uh, New Beginning. This is the most violent match in New Japan Pro Wrestling this year. Um just breathtaking the sheer levels of brutality. I absolutely love this match. I love this match a lot more, I think, than most people, just because I I I I, I don't want to be a coward and give it the wrong rating. Like I, I everyone kind of is like going lower than me and I'm like starting to go towards four point five. But when I first saw it, I was like, this is nearly a perfect match. I don't see why I shouldn't go almost five stars. Hey. It's that Dude, go 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 off your heart, man. It's it's, it's your star rating, bro. If you, if you want if you want to drop the five on it, you want to throw the five fingers up. You go for it, bro. I got five on it. <laughs> so if, if you got five on Listen, it, man, man I, I'm not five on it. But here's the thing: I'll say this: as far as a perfectly worked and ex- executed story, I took no notes, and I could tell you almost frame for frame exactly what happened in that match. And it's, uh, you know, I know some people kind of called it lazy because these guys were just hitting each other. Let me tell you, bro, that hurts so freaking bad. This was sheerly brutal. Like, both of their chests were purple. Uh, they were both rattled. They went through extreme levels of, of physical um, brutality to entertain us in an empty arena. Um, just incredible. I mean, Jeremy, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, so we've seen two formulas work with empty arena matches that, that make them really great. The, the great empty arena matches, we've seen two formulas. Formula one, the match is really short. Formula two, the match is really hard-hitting. Well, Suzuki and Nagata went with Formula two here. They went with a really hard-hitting matchup, and it was great. Uh, these two old bastards were, were literally just beating the crap out of each other. The first five minutes of the match was literally those two guys just striking each other between forearms, elbows, and chops. 
Like it, it was incredible. Yeah, I think the lack of crowd affected this match more so than any other match that we've reviewed. And what I mean by that is this. Um, when you watch UFC or even boxing right now in this COVID era where there's no fans in, in attendance, it kind of creates a unique presentation in the sense that like, you can hear the cornermen, you can hear the, 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 the um, people breathing, you can hear the shuffling of the feet and, you know, anytime they hit each other or make contact, you hear that. And so it's a lot more visceral. And so it's kind of, you would think maybe it would be boring to watch fighting in an empty arena the same way that say like watching baseball is utterly horrible when there's no audience or there's no fans, but um, it's, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's really great. And, that's what this match was like. Uh, the The lack of crowd in many ways enhanced the presentation because of how violent it was. And it was kind of twofold. Like, yes, had there been an audience, would they have been going crazy for what they were seeing? Absolutely. Yeah. And could that – that might have affected the match in ways that we don't really know. Maybe it would have uh, – even raised it higher and elevated it. I, I don't really know. It seems like that's a pot, uh, a good likelihood, um, you know, because having a great crowd always helps a match, obviously. But there are things that would have definitely done that would have hindered what we got. We wouldn't have been able to hear and feel the visceral experience that we got from this empty arena match. And so this was very unique in the sense that they kind of max, maximized the positives that are afforded to you when you have an empty arena like this. And because of that, seeing them hit each other that hard really drew me in. And um, they just kept going with the forums and going and going and going and going. And this is a real man's match, man. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it was so violent. And then Suzuki's heat segment, you know, on the outside and, and the submission work and Nagata trying to survive and everyone thinking that Nagata was, absolutely going to lose here and um him kind of persevering through all that and then at the end of it all after all the violence 20 minutes he just kind of catches suzuki and hits him with that uh you know what is it the side explorer suplex the uh, the back hold the backdrop hold yeah the uh, backdrop hold and he puts him away for the one two three um it was just awesome and not only that Suzuki's facials both of these guys facials but Suzuki being this maniacal savage who takes shots and bumbles and then laughs about it but is clearly in pain like it this was this is a masterpiece literally and these guys have wrestled in the main event of two wrestle kingdoms they've wrestled on many many major cards I think it's like the 11th or 12th singles match I'm I'm, I'm telling you right now this is absolutely the greatest singles match between these two guys ever, including Wrestle Kingdom 1, including Wrestle Kingdom 5. Yeah, and I think the best thing about that in, the, in that comment is, you know, a lot of times when you kind of get old rivals like Suzuki and Agata who have wrestled several times on big stages and they're in their later stage of the careers and they're having a singles match, they kind of come out and just kind of play the hits and, you know, it's not quite as crisp or what it used to be, and you, just, you know, it's kind of a nostalgic kind of match. But this match felt like a continuation 
of that long-stemming rivalry. They weren't just playing the hits. This was another chapter in that rivalry. They were still going full go. And this was, like you, met, like you mentioned, possibly one of the best out of their whole series. And you don't, you don't see that all the time with old rivals like this. Yeah, I think that's a great point, just the fact that it uh, it did feel like the a continuation of the series or like a new chapter. Um, and it's very clear that both of these guys are at the tail end of their careers. Um, you know, they've got less days in front of them than in, uh, than behind them, but they didn't wrestle like that on this night at all. Um, I think it's going to be really hard for anything to top them for match of the month. Honestly, um, I think this probably will be the fight of the year. I, I maybe not. Um, and I guess the reason I just loved it so much was the story they told, but just also like how perfectly laid out. There's a lot of matches you could ask me, was it good? I'll tell you, yeah. And you, you tell me what was it about? And I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but in this match, I could tell you all the acts that were there. It was very easy to follow. And I was enthralled the whole time I was sitting on the edge of my seat and I couldn't believe it. What I saw unfolding, um, there's there there are plenty of years, maybe not in so recent, but there are plenty of years in the history of New Japan. This would have been the match of the year. Yeah, yeah, man, this thing was incredible. And like you mentioned, the finish earlier, so, you know, Suzuki, he's going for that that misdirection, you know, rare naked choke that he normally does, and the guy just caught him, popped the hips, hit that backdrop suplex hold, one two three out of nowhere, and defeats Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, and I think you ha- almost have a fear here that I'm about to take a, a victory lap because I did, in fact, predict the winner of this match accurately last week when I think a lot of people didn't uh, think that that was a likelihood. Yeah, well, <sighs> Blue Justice was out here busting brackets. Yeah, but here's the thing. Um, my whole logic for him winning was kind of contingent on the outcome of the next match, which I did not get accurate. So I really don't feel like I can take a lot of uh, pride <laughs> in that uh, victory. The, 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 the one reason, though, one other reason aside from my, just my projections that I did think Nagata might win is because if you look at their all-time career records against one another, they're almost 50-50, but uh, Suzuki was slightly leading. And I kind of felt like Nagata needed to get that win back to keep the rivalry going or keep things even. So that's... That's one reason I kind of went that way, but uh, it did feel kind of cool to have one of the few brackets that had Nagata winning, and he did in fact do that. So that I think it busted a lot of people's brackets. Yeah. Um, um, and we have a question should, here. Oh, what's it? I was gonna say it shouldn't be too bad though, because I don't think very many people had either Suzuki or Nagata going very far. like say to the finals. So I think I think a lot of people still have hope, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool to call that. Uh, so we have a question here from Twitter follower Ben Kosminski. It says, where do you think Suzuki goes from here? I think his stock is as high as ever, but getting a feeling that New Japan doesn't want to, want him at top atop the mid-card. We'd love to see him and Shingo for the Never Belt. Um, well, yeah, I think we all want to see him and Shingo at some point. Absolutely. Um, I don't think that this was... I wouldn't call this like a... Not that, and I don't want to put words in the question asker's mouth, but for me, I wouldn't treat this like some sort of quote unquote crossroads match, you know, like where does he go from here? What is left for Suzuki? It didn't feel like that to me. It felt like 
This was a tournament. People get upset in tournaments. It happens. And he's still the leader of Suzuki Goon. He's still one of the best workers in the company. And there's still a lot of life left in that character. Um, you know? So I don't know where they go next with him necessarily. But I mean, there's a lot of things you could do. He could challenge for the tag titles. He could fight John Moxley again. He could fight, I don't know, Kenta, Jay White, Chris Jericho. I mean, dude, there's a lot of things you could do with Minoru Suzuki. Like, I don't feel like they're anywhere near done with him. And a lost to Nagata, who is one of the few true aces in the history of the company, it's not that big a deal, especially since they've got, you know, a decades-old rivalry with one another. Yeah, Suzuki is literally always one win away from being in any title picture. You can easily he can easily be in the IWGP title picture, IC title picture, never US tag title, um, junior. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> that, that that's the only one he might be out of. But yeah, he can literally be heated up and being be in any title picture at this point in his career. Here's one thing I will say: this a lot of we we like to make fun of Goto because we always talk about how Goto is the most losingest challenger in the history of the IWGP heavyweight title. Um, I think he's got like eight failed defenses and he's never won it. You know, the, the one other guy who's like not far off is Suzuki with like seven. Mm. I could have those numbers a little bit smidged. I'm doing it off the top of the dome, but I feel pretty accurate, feel pretty confident that those are accurate. Uh, and it is interesting because Suzuki, you know, GHC champion, triple crown champion. The one major pro title that he's never held is the IWGP championship. And I don't think he's ever going to. Yeah. At this point, I'd be really surprised if he ends up winning the title. Yeah. I think it but would he's, take a but, serious, but he's held like everything else. Yeah. I think it would take a serious injury or something serious to happen for him to, for him to get the belt at this stage in his career right now. Is there a situation where, like, maybe he was in that kind of loaded? I know that Dangerous Techers are going for the titles next, but, like, is there someone that maybe you'd like to see him, let's say, hypothetically, Golden Aces get past Dangerous Techers? Who could you see uh, Minoru Suzuki, like, teaming with maybe as a challenge situation? I think Taichi would probably be the best. Oh, I guess, well, Taichi's with Zach. Um, if it wasn't going to be Taichi or Zach, uh, who's else in that? They don't really have any other top guys in that heavyweights in that unit, do they? I Well, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, uh, Davey Boy's gone. Lance Archer's gone. Shelton's gone. Um, it's, it's all juniors after that, right? Hey, screw it. Desperado and Suzuki, run it. That would be cool. That'd be oh yeah, and also they lost Iska. Yeah, Iska was kind of his tech. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, so maybe we could get that going. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so great main event here. Um, I went four and a quarter on it. Uncle Dave went four and a half. Cage match has it at eight point four five. So a very high rated match here. <sighs> you know, I'll I'll go four and a half on it. And here's the thing. It's sort of like. It, in a way, it kind of reminds me of uh, you remember when Brock Lesnar wrestled uh, Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 31. Yeah, and and it was really great because at the at the end of a really great match, you sort of had that interference, and it's like it was something that made the match, but it also kind of detracted from the match all at the same time. 
the cash in. Yeah. Like it made the match great, but it also kind of took away from how good it had been in a, in a sense as well. So it was like double edged. That's sort of what the no crowd was for me. Like it made this match very memorable and helped, but I feel like had a crowd been there, I would be even higher on this just personally. Same here. So I don't know. I, I think I could even go four and three quarters. I'm, you know, I'm not strict on this stuff, but I think four and a quarter is like too low. I think that this was like blow away. I don't know. There's there's something that was keeping me. I I was a coward and went with the four and a quarter, but I I have no complaints of anybody going four and a half on it. Nice. And uh, before we move on, you know, with Minoru Suzuki, we've seen Suzuki. He takes very good care of his of his hair. He has some interesting haircuts. You know, he he has the swiggles in his head in his head, and you know. Always make sure he has, you know, to him a fresh haircut, you know. It might be a little different to us, but, you know, he's coming out there with the squiggles and making sure he has a fresh cut. Uh, yeah, I noticed he had a fresh fade for his birthday. Yeah. So, do you think Suzuki is, is a manscaper? Do you think he's taking care of all the hair? Uh, Jeremy, are you asking me, does this man get creative with his hair down there? <laughs> are you asking me, does he put squiggles in his pubes? Is that what you're asking me right now? <laughs> Well, necessarily asking that. I just want to know if you, if you think he if he's manscaping. Oh, absolutely. Have you have you seen Murder Grandpa's uh, <laughs> Instagram account? This is one of the most stylish, like distinguished gentlemen you've you you'd ever see. So, of course, this man is taking care of business when it comes to situation downstairs. Yeah, and I hope he's using you know the new lawnmower 3.0 from our friends at Manscaped. They've spent eighteen months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and this is new and improved lawnmower 3.0 i said it last week i'll say it again it is the omega okada of razors absolutely it is the omega yano of razors the greatest (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's a third generation trimmer which Features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. They are a thing of the past. Um, young boy, I know you got your package this weekend. What do you think about this thing, man? Dude, let me tell you something. Um, I've always kind of, you know, I've always been a little bit metro, if you know what I'm saying. Like <laughs> I take care of, I take care of business. But um, having the right tools in the trade really, really, really help things. Um, this man, this lawnmower 3.0 is out of this world man i mean you can use it in the shower you can use it in the dark it's got a light on it uh it never snags it's got that ceramic edge so like sure you might have your own trimmer but like i know just like anyone else who is regularly you know trimming down there that accidents happen snags snips uh this completely takes care of that like you don't have to have any kind of fear it's going to give you a really, really, really like great shave. But the, the nicest thing is that not only do they have high-quality razors, the rest of their products that, that were provided to us are really, really high caliber. Let me tell you, man, um, all throughout this quarantine, I've been working out. And you know, after you get done with the long workout, you take a hot shower. But if you're like anabolic, like heart rate, metabolic like state is still high, you're going to keep sweating. And the thing that they've provided us with that really helps with that is the ball deodorant. It's this nice, really good smelling cream. After you get done 
washing your ass, as they would say on <laughs> Keeping a Strong Stuff or on uh, One Nation Radio. Make sure you wash your ass, but after you get done, you dry off. You give yourself a nice little pat pat. <laughs> pop, pop. <laughs> and, dude, I am telling you, literally, like, funky smells from down there are going to be a thing of the past. It, it, it completely fights, you know. That the the funky smells that you might get from uh you know sweat that sort of thing and um you know it's gonna be better for your overall productive life when it comes to you know your significant others your partners that sort of thing like it's incredible you don't have to worry about it anymore yeah tons of great products along with the razor so make sure you guys check out all what Manscaped has to offer you visit manscaped.com. And put in the code SUPLEX at checkout. You get 20% off and free shipping. That's right. 20% off and free shipping by using our code SUPLEX. Yeah, and here's the thing, guys. Sure, would we sell out? Absolutely. But am I lying to you about how good this stuff is? Absolutely not. I'm telling you, there's a reason that you hear about freaking Manscaped everywhere. This stuff is incredible. So do yourself a favor, get it. And when you do use that code suplex, because it helps us out. It really, really helps us out for this thing to go on as a prolonged deal. We need your help. We need your support. You're going to, you're going to want to use this stuff anyways. So go ahead and get it. And when you do throw us a bone, throw in that code, you get the savings, you get the free shipping, you get the nice balls. (laughs) We, And we and we get your we get your support, which is what we need. Nice. So uh, let's uh, move on to the main event here of night two. We had uh, former teammates here, the uh, former protege and former master, going head to head here. Kazuchika Okada taking on Gato. What are you think? What are your thoughts on this matchup here? All right. Listen. So we saw this story play out. At the end of the year last year, uh, at Road to Tokyo Dome, um, we saw. Was that even last? Was that Road to Tokyo Dome? I might even be mistaken. I, I think that it, was kind of late in the year. I thought, I felt like it was in the fall. All I know is we saw Okada and Gato have a match that was very similar to this uh, last year. Maybe even, you know, that might have been Road to Tokyo Dome. Bro, it wasn't even Road to Tokyo Dome this past year. It was the year before that. So it was. It was before. It was leading into. Yeah, it was 2018 Road to Tokyo Dome. So it's been a long time since since that singles match. Now that I'm thinking about it, so we saw Okada and Gato have a match, hot off the heels of Gato's, uh, you know, betrayal on Okada. And again, that was like at the end of 2018 leading into the Tokyo Dome, Jay White versus Okada. So, I mean, that was a long time ago. (laughs) And uh, they had a match. It was full of shenanigans. It was very funny, very entertaining. And, you know, Gato is heavily influenced by Memphis-style brawling and booking and that sort of thing. And this match was essentially another version of that, but much longer and not as good. Plus, there was no audience for a lot of these antics to really be played off of. And so you had Okada and Gato just, uh, I mean, Jeremy can give us the rundown uh, as far as what Gato did, but I guess my biggest gripe with this match is after the initial humor, the initial uh, creativeness of the match, 
it really just turned into a, a super long prolonged like heat segment for Gato where like Okada was selling for him for like out of a 15 minute match, probably at least a good 11 minutes of the match was Okada selling for Gato, which in the main event of new Japan cup kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. I wasn't super high on that. Yeah. Same here. And it's one of those situations. We are empty arena. Yes. Okada is the biggest star in promotion. Normally you want a main event with your biggest star, but we're an empty arena. There's no crowd here. They could have easily, but it's in the semi-main and main evented with Suzuki Nagata. Um, like you're saying, the shenanigans at the beginning of the match were very funny. You know, um, Gato's coming out here in the sling, um, saying his arms hurt, and then he he pulls out you know brass knuck or you know, he pulls out a water bottle first. He um, we pull out, he pull out the brass knuckles, and then he pulls out this water bottle. Um, I'm guessing it was a like Triple H's magic spray, and he's trying to spray this man. Um, and then eventually, you know, he's you know pulling out brass knuckles all over the place and. There's just so much, you know, smoke and mirrors and, and cheating um, for Gato to be able to get the heat on Okada, uh, which just went too long. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And the, the thing with it all is just um, it, it was entertaining initially, the way that they they kind of portrayed it, you know. But... I, I'm not sure why they went with this as the headline. I guess just because Okada's the big star, they want to have him do his speech at the end and kind of close things out. But they were very limited, you know, as far as what they could do with Gato, given his current physical state. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with Gato pulling out, you know, he's pulling out the brass knuckles. Uh, he get, he uses a wrench. He gets a, a wrench from the floor. To, that's where he starts getting the heat on Okada and, and grabbing a table and, you know, doing all this stuff in uh, front of Red Shoes here. And it's like, I, I get it. I know Red Shoes let a lot of stuff fly. But, I mean, this was just like some blatant cheating and, you know, not much was being done about about it. Um, so, yeah, Gato's using all these weapons and he's just, you know, getting this long heat segment on Okada until Okada's, uh, you know, finally able to kind of start making his comeback here. Yeah, and this was something where I had originally kind of predicted an Okada um, upset. I kind of thought that there's a chance that Gato could have beaten him. And part of the reason I thought that that was a, a viable option is just because when the original brackets came out, you had Jay White versus Okada, and a lot of people thought Jay White was going to kind of go far in this tournament. So I was thinking that they're going to keep some of that booking intact, hypothetically. And so that's kind of the reason that I sort of had some of that slotted. But once the match started playing out and you've got Gato, you know, getting heat on Okada for 11, 12 minutes, it became very apparent right away. Like, oh, um, there's no way Gato is going to win this. And I feel like the smarter booking option would have been to have this be a little bit less on the nose, a little bit more nuanced. You know, if it, if it was a struggle for, you know, if Okada got a lot of um, shine and then kept almost beating Gato, but Gato had outside cronies helping him to distract and ref bumps and things of that nature, and it wasn't him getting heat, but it was, you know, him kind of surviving and then cheating, then the the results might have been a little bit more in question. You know, we might have been able to believe, believe, but they kind of just really like they telegraphed the whole thing 
because there's no way that Okada's going to sell for 11 minutes and then also get beat by Gato. That's just not happening. Right. So the up, so the upset was not in question when I was watching this. And I was super bummed by that because I was like, I can't imagine anyone else in this side of the bracket beating Okada personally. So when I saw this, like, playing out this way, I was like, all right, well, Okada's going to the finals. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, yeah, we had uh, Gato, you know, retrieving a set of brass knuckles from uh, the post that was taped there, using the brass knucks and doing the Gato clutch for a near fall. Then we had Giotto coming out. Um, Gato tries to do the, the Blade Runner. Okada blocks that. Um, hits a drop kick. Uh, Giotto's trying to get the ref. Gato gets brass knuckles again. Okada ducks. It's a drop kick, a second drop kick, uh, which sends Gato into Giotto. And then he does a tombstone and um, uses the um, the million yen dream, the billion yen dream uh, sleeper submission hold to get the victory. No, that is not the billion yen dream. I I'm I'm shocked and ashamed and appalled that you thought that that's what it was, sir. The billion yen dream is a cobra clutch. Mm. That was that was not a cobra clutch. That was a head arm triangle choke turned into a like he, he did a variation of a head arm triangle choke it is different um the biggest difference i don't know if you noticed he had the arm sort of like a top wrist lock like this yeah. and then choked on the other side it is a new it's an entirely new move that okada has never used before gotcha yeah I, for some reason i guess i just assumed it was the uh it's been a while since i've seen the, the billion yen dream i assumed it was that C- could it be 10 times better so maybe it's the 10 billion yen dream hmm Mm. I think so. I think that might be it. So, all right, we need to tweet Kidani. We need to tweet <laughs> Harold May. Everybody. Everybody. Uh, we did have um, who? Who was the guy that was like in charge? Like Michael Craven. Oh yeah, Craven. Yeah, like he he was there, but then he wasn't there. But then he actually was there, and then it was like this big thing because other podcasts talk about how he got fired, but he wasn't. But he actually did, and they were actually right. And <laughs> we need to tweet him too. <laughs> uh, we had a question here from Reddit user Rainbow and Slam Pig: How many pairs of brass knuckles do you think Gato owns? I don't know. I mean, at least two. I, I think I think he's fully stocked. I think he just you know. Has one for for each tour. He has a set for each tour. See, I don't think brass knucks are the kind of thing that you keep as a like sentimental thing. I think that's the sort of thing you go to uh, like a local market, like a seedy part of town where they sell like you know throwing stars and scythes and things of that nature, and you get yourself a really cheap pair of brass knucks. You buy them in bulk. When you're done using them, because this is a crime thing, your your fingerprints are on them. You throw them down a river somewhere so no one can find them. You don't keep them. He probably has none on him, but he can get them from a supplier at any given moment. That's what I think. This is the same supplier that uh, Doki is getting the, the bent pipe from, and that Evil's getting his scythe from. No, Doki keeps that thing on him at all times. You can tell because it's heavily damaged and it's like broken, and he can't afford. Bro, on, on that job or salary, those pesos <laughs> he makes down in Mexico, can't afford to get a new pipe, bro. Like, no. Times are tough. He had to take a pay cut due to COVID. Like, no. He's he's not. He's got one pipe. That's it. Hard times, daddy. 
Yeah. All right. So moving on to the last night here, night three, which happened this morning, uh, Monday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern time. I just got done watching this. (laughs) Nice. Just in time. Uh, Yeah, I was able to watch it earlier. And uh, so, yeah, let's go through this night here. We had a little change. Uh, We had a change of building. So we were in Corkin Hall, empty arena Corkin. Was that Corkin? Yeah. Are you sure? Because I looked for the crossbeams. And I I couldn't find them, and I was like, the floor looks like Corkin, but I can't find the. I'm pretty sure it's Corkin. I think it was just set up a little bit differently because of being, it being empty arena and kind of how they shifted some things around. But I'm like 90 percent sure that was Corkin. I had a stage. I wasn't sure if it was Corkin. I I wasn't sure which either one of those two places was. Well, regardless, they were in a different building than the first two nights, and we had a different format here where we had the the multi-man tag match first instead of in between the tournament matches. So we had the multi-man match, and then we had uh, straight four tournament matches in a row. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't know if I prefer one over the other, to be honest. That's the the thing. Uh, We didn't even touch on this. These shows are like two hours, a little over two hours. Really easy watches, and I got to tell you, if they were doing the traditional eight matches, ten matches, whatever it was, I would hate these shows. I I don't think I could watch a bunch of you know preview tags um, in an empty arena. That would just be monotonous and really be overkill. But because it's just one, and then you've got a bunch of singles matches. Have at it. This is great. Yeah, I I love the format of these shows. Yeah, smooth two hours. Um, you know, four tournament matches, one multi man. You got you got an intermission in there. You can skip through if you don't watch live. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the format so far. So we kick things off here. Eight man tag action: Suzuki Goon, Doki, El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru defeat the team of Gabriel Kidd, Yota Suji, Yuji Nagata, and Yuya Yomura. Ten minutes and thirty three seconds. Oh, the team with the three young lions. I I wonder who's going to lose. <laughs> This man, they gave Nagata this big win, and then they saddled him with the Young Lions to take on the Suzuki Gun team here. Yeah, uh, this was pretty good, though. Um, Suzuki Gun really controlled, like, I don't have a lot to say about it, but I remember watching it and just, like, Suzuki was in control, like, the, the whole match. And I was like, man, they're really not telling a story here of, like, back and forth. This is just. Uh, Suzuki Goon kicking the shit out of a bunch of young lions. <laughs> like, it's kind of great. Yeah, they were working over those young lions. And yeah, I don't really have uh, a lot of deep thoughts on this match. Uh, it was a fun opener. Um, it was kind of great seeing uh, Suzuki and Nagata interactions again. And it makes me think, you know, maybe are they kind of planning a, a long term feud with these guys for the remainder of this year? Old beef. <laughs> Old beef is new. Uh, and then uh, Desperado here is the one that gets the win. He hits the Pinche Loco on Suji. So looks like they're going to be heating up Desperado or something down the line as well. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, it, it is interesting. You've got uh, Desperado, Suzuki, and Kanemaru all out of the tournament. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. So let's uh, let's kick off these. Tur- oh, you have something? No, let's say, yeah, let's go to the, uh, the next tournament matchup. Yeah, let's kick off these tournament matches. So we start the night with Sonata taking on Ryuzuki Taguchi, uh, heavyweight versus junior. First round of the match, no, nah, uh, no, nah, Jeremy- nah, nah. These, these are two heavyweights. Taguchi's a heavyweight. <laughs> I'm telling you, we need call Aaron Nova, pull the scale out, make this man Taguchi stay on the scale. 
Cause what's, what's what's the uh, the weight limit? It's like two twenty. Yeah, in Japan, I believe. Yeah, I have it on good authority. Rizuki Taguchi is two hundred and sixty nine pounds. Yeah, the funky weapon. <laughs> yeah, his his ass alone is you know <laughs> majority of the weight there. Um, so last week I said this is a match that I was looking forward to. Uh, let's uh, just make a formal retraction to that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, just playing. Actually, I, I thought it was pretty good though. We we did get a brief appearance of Big Match Taguchi. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I started. I thought I think it started off really slow. Like the very beginning, like they did some really great like chain wrestling and some like good like amateur wrestling. And then they kind of went into like the antics of the fist bumping and who can put who in the paradise lock and just kind of like goofing off a little bit. And then towards the end, it kind of picked back up and we got like the, that finishing sequence of the big match to Gucci, like the crossbody and then Sonata kind of doing his stuff. But it took a while to get there. Yeah, I kind of think just um, I don't really take Taguchi that seriously. I know he can win stuff, but especially given this environment, I mean, I I don't I really don't take him seriously. So I kind of expect I I enjoyed and expected the fist bumps and the moments where they're both trying to put each other you know the stalemates, them putting each other's feet down. Um, I did like when you know part of the story leading into this match was that Taguchi as a goofball and not a master was trying to put Sonata in the paradise lock. And he kept trying, kept trying. And finally in this match, he thought that he did it. Dude, and yeah. it was very clear <laughs> that he did not have this man's hands locked. So like Sonata's in it, but he's just looking around and he's like, my hands are totally free. And like Taguchi, like finally gets him like turned over. And then Taguchi's like dancing and he's so happy. He, he's, yeah. And he's then, like, so he puts his knee up. He's doing, he's doing the, uh, the captain Morgan. He's putting his like leg up on yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> doing like the, the taunt, the Taguchi Japan like kind of pose. And then once there's some distance, and he stands up. He turns around. Sonata standing up, and he he looks like he looks like AJ when he finds out that the Undertaker <laughs> has teleported behind him. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the and you know what? There is an argument people can make towards the end of this match. Um, a lot of the good sequences that close out the match kind of centered around Taguchi getting more serious and working an ankle hold lock. And they did a lot of those classic uh, Kurt Angle spots where, you know, he has the ankle lock, he gets kicked off, he keeps holding on to it. And then, you know, working out of other submissions or other big moves back into the ankle lock. It's one of those things that always kind of works. And Angle did a lot of that, and it was great. But for some reason, I couldn't take Taguchi in this particular scenario very seriously because I knew that the ankle lock just was not going to work against Sonata at all. Mm-hmm. So every time he had it, I just, it, it felt like a parody of, of the spot as opposed to me buying in to the idea that Sonata was going to tap. And because there's, again, we have to talk about no crowd. Because there's no crowd, there's no one else there for me to really get, like, feel what the crowd was feeling. You know, if the crowd was quiet, then maybe I would feel more confident about my take. If they really 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 got hyped and started like buying into it then maybe that would have changed my perception but it was hard for me to believe that even though taguchi and sonata worked hard at the end and it was kind of good it would i never thought taguchi was gonna beat sonata so i kind of always knew what was happening yeah so yeah towards the end here taguchi goes for the uh, magistral cradle gets a near fall sonata rolls through and uh does the rolling japanese clutch for the pinfall victory here sonata gets the win 
in a fine, uh, fine tournament matchup. I went three and a quarter here. That's that's a fine grade. Uh, one interesting thing, Sonata did have the skull in on Taguchi a couple times and was not able to beat him with it and had to beat him with, uh, what you call it, the Japanese clutch? Yeah. Yeah. Be, uh, yeah. Um, trying to remember who from World Sport used to use that a lot. Johnny Saint. That's like the Johnny Saint pin. But uh, I just thought that was interesting that he beat him with that pin as opposed to beating him with the um, Skullin. Or yeah. the uh, the Moonsault. Or even the Moonsault, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, good match, though. And Sonata moves on, just like I think a lot of people kind of figured. Yeah. So, moving on to the next matchup here, we had, um, we had Sho taking on Shingo Takagi. Awesome, awesome, awesome match. Um, by so far, in my estimation, I've got this as the second best match of the tournament. Um, but I think some people, I don't know, I haven't looked at anyone else's opinions. I wouldn't be surprised if many people thought this was the best match of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, right now on cage match is at eight point six six on grapple. I believe it's uh, like four point three three. Um, I went four and a half on it. For me, this is my number one match of the tournament. I thought this was excellent. I absolutely loved this matchup. These two guys going out here killing each other. It's great. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, how show. It's not surprising given the history between Sho and Shingo, but Sho just went out there and just took it to him as soon as the bell started. You could even tell right from before the bell started with the stare down and the face off that uh, this was going to be a serious battle. And um, Sho gave Shingo everything he had. And these two guys, I mean, the story of this match was Lariat's. I mean, clothesline after clothesline after clothesline. I mean, there was, there was a lot more than just that, but those clotheslines in this match and the Lariat's in this match, the pumping bombers and the V-triggers and the punches and everything, the headbutts, and the, it's just crazy. This match was really awesome. Yeah, like I was saying, man, if, if you go hard-hitting, that's the way one of the ways to go in empty arena matches. And these guys, yeah, you, you heard those Lariat's sounding off, those pumping bombers. Uh, yeah, it's, this was uh, so excellent. You know, this story of show, this has been burning, uh, you know, inside of him, this, this, this desire to beat Shingo. Uh, you know, he failed to do it in Best of Super Juniors, and, you know, he struggled for so long, and now he finally, you know, due to uh, the pandemic, getting this chance to go in there with Shingo, and he was able to beat him, and he was just, you saw the fire the whole match. He was so determined to knock off the dragon here. So, I mean, Shingo, man, uh, full heavyweight for the first time since he's been in New Japan. I mean, that boy put on some pounds. You <laughs> noticed that? Yeah, he looked a little thick. Yeah, he's looking a little fluffy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the match started off really hot with these guys trading strikes and trading big maneuvers and going for pinfalls. But once things kind of settled down, it, the, the story was a lot of Shingo as a heavyweight almost being too cocky against show mm -hmm. being very uh, slightly heelish. And I mean, you know, um, just as a kind of quick refresher when Shingo came into the company, uh, him and Bushi, he came in as a junior and him and Bushi feuded, uh, in the junior tag division against Rapongi 3k for a good portion of the year. 
and uh, eventually beat them for the uh, junior titles and, you know, match after match after match after match. Sho could not beat Shingo. And then when they finally faced off on the first night of Best Super Juniors, they had a blowaway match and Sho came within inches of beating Shingo, but was ultimately defeated by him. And uh, that kind of leads us here. Sho still a junior. Shingo has now gone to heavyweight. He is a force to be reckoned with. He hardly ever loses. And at this point, what reason does he really have to be afraid of Sho? I mean, he's fought the best in New Japan, guys that Sho probably couldn't compete with or even beat. And he's been able to, you know, have his way with Sho. Sho's never beaten him. And, you know, this is kind of a formality for Shingo. But for Sho, this was a one-match tournament. This is, you know, for him, I don't think he really necessarily has illusions of getting his way to Dominion fight Naito, but Shingo has been his like ultra rival, the guy that he's wanted to knock off forever. And his whole goal was to beat Shingo and it would take everything he has. And I don't know what provided, you know, after this match, what he's even going to have left in, in another round. But uh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I think he kind of emptied the, the gun here. And so moving on to the next round, I think he's definitely going to go in hurting and not be at a hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I didn't want to give it away, but obviously if you're listening, the deal here is show upset Shingo Takagi. Um, you know, once – and I think part of it was just Shingo took show too lightly, and he paid the consequences for it. And then towards the end of the match, as show was kind of surging, he tried to put him away. I don't think he'd done enough work to actually put him away. And some of the things that he normally would be able to put a guy away with, like – made Japan public bomber. They weren't enough. I think by the time he tried to get him up for the, uh, what's it called? Last of the dragon. Mm -hmm. By the time he got him up for last of the dragon, I don't think he put enough groundwork to really have his man put away and show caught him. He caught him with both versions of the shock arrow. And that was that. And he got the biggest win of his career. Yeah. By beating Shingo Takagi, he immediately puts himself in contention for a never uh, open weight title shot, and this is a huge, huge deal for Show. Yeah, and the story of this match it reminded me of the Osprey um, Shingo match from Best Super Juniors last year, in which you know Shingo, you know he destroyed his block. He's going against Osprey, and Osprey was kind of the underdog in that match, and Shingo kind of took Osprey lightly. You know, he's like, I just, you know, clean my block, my block out. Why do I have to, you know, worry about this guy? And so, I, you know, kind of let his guard down a little bit. I think that's what that's what happened here. Yeah, I think there is an element to Shingo where he is a little bit too self confident and a little bit too cocky in character, and it costs him sometimes um, a little bit of that hubris. It's kind of what we see sometimes from, say, like Zack Saber. You know, there's no denying that both of those guys on any given night can defeat anybody in the company or in wrestling for that matter. But more often than not, they don't put it all together. And it's because these little character ticks, you know, there's mm-hmm. things missing things they're overlooking. And, you know, he got beat by a junior in show and uh, it's a big deal. Um, I will say this. I liked the match uh, a heck of a lot. I'm probably four and a half on it. What would you say you were four and a half? Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably go four and a half on it. Um, it's not far off from the match that I liked with, Nagata and Suzuki, but I don't think it's as good as their initial match. But I felt like they were holding back a little bit 
I feel like the first time they wrestled last year, they went all out. In this one, I felt like this was more of a setup match for an eventual title shot between Sho and Shingo. I really got those vibes very heavily. For that reason, I don't think it's a... You know, I could even go four and a quarter on it, honestly. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm somewhere between four and a quarter and four and a half. But um, I was just so happy to see Show beat Shingo is my whole feeling at the end of it all. And, and let's take a little victory lap on that because I didn't hear many people going into this tournament saying that Show was going to beat Shingo. A lot of people had Shingo circled and they kind of put Show out there. And me and you were like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense for Show to beat Shingo to set up this never open with title match. And then today, when it happens, I'm seeing all these people like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, they can set up a never open way title match. And I'm like, young boy and I, the ace of podcasts, we, we, we saw the vision ahead. But we saw this. We saw this coming. Yeah, I mean, if you had Shingo lose to someone else in the tournament, uh, you, you, you could have done that. But, I mean, let's say he faces Sonata next, right, pretty much, if he wins? Yeah. Um. So then, what if Sonata beats him? Then Sonata is in line for a, a never title, you know. And they're stablemates. That doesn't really make sense. If he beats Sonata, that's fine. But then that really damages. It just didn't make sense. Like there was no viable. Given the brackets, there's no viable option other than Shingo going really far in the tournament and winning the thing probably. This is the only thing that really made sense. Like, it had to be this. And given the story that they've been telling, like, I love it. Now, I, I understand why some people thought Show might not beat him because I think for some people, they want Show to chase him for even longer, you know? Mm. But to me, I'm like, man, if we've learned anything this year, nothing's guaranteed. You think everything's good, you do two nights at the dome, and then two months later, you can't even put people in a, in a building. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't hold this shit off. Like, let's let's get to it. Run Show it. beat Shingo. Boom. Run it. Yeah. And, I, and I'm pretty sure Shingo is probably going to end up retaining at Dominion. And then you can tell that story of Show wanting to beat him for a belt. And he... I agree with you. Playing devil's advocate. How badass would it be if Show was a singles champion before yo that would be cool and that would be a, a definitely wrinkle in that story between those two guys so i didn't, and i'm just saying that's feasible because think i don't think he's gonna beat shingo twice but if you were gonna beat shingo i mean it's the never title it changes hands a lot i mean shingo obviously i think most people would agree is a high of a higher caliber than simply just being a never guy, even though I think he's good for the never division, he could be good for the IC or the U S or whatever. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with this, uh, show shingle rivalry down the line. So moving on to the semi main event of the evening, we had Kota Bushi and Zack Sabre jr. So to quote the famous, uh, comment from, um, (laughs) GSP to Matt Sarah after one of the UFCs. Um, GSP walked in after Matt Sarah had, uh, you know, defended his title, and he said, "I am not impressed with your performance." <laughs> Dude, I remember that they play on so many uh, video packages. <laughs> Dude, is the uh, maybe this is just me? You and I have not talked on the air. 
This, to me, is the most disappointing Kota Ibushi Zack Saber match of all, not time, of all times. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> ever. Yeah, man. I was a little bit underwhelmed by this matchup, and and I put a lot of expectations on this match. This was one I had circled as, you know, being one of the best matches of the tournament. I thought with their chemistry and the fact that it would be a striking submission-based match, that it would be great for Empty Arena, kind of that UFC style like we talked about the last couple of weeks here on the show. And they went out there. They had I, I thought it was a good match. I mean they It was okay. Um I, I went four stars flat on it. Um Oh, what? Four? Yeah. Oh bro, I'm way lower than that. Dang, how low are you? Like three and a half, maybe lower. Okay. Wow. I don't know, man. Okay, let's, let me just say this. Zack Sabre, this was a really, really, really awesome, um, wow, like a clinic. This is an incredible clinic. If you want to learn how Zack Sabre grapples, then it was awesome. As far as a story, I don't even know what the story was. I know the story of Zack Sabre matches. The story, and, and Kotobushi, the story is always, Kotobushi is an awesome striker. Zack Sabre's an incredible grappler. They try to play each other's games. They pay for it. There's a back and forth, and it's awesome. And they have really great chemistry and lots of reversals, and it goes all over the place, and there's lots of near falls. It's really great. Nah, bro. Zack just fucking was, like, eating Kota Ibushi alive. <laughs> but he wasn't doing shit to him. Like, this, was, this didn't even feel like a wrestling match to me. It just felt like a guy who was doing a tutorial on his quote-unquote Matt grappling skills. Um, you know, most most wrestling matches have, like, a story, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm attacking this limb. I'm attacking that limb. I'm trying to do this or do that. This was not that. This was just Zach doing shit. Literally. Zach was just doing shit. And I'm, <laughs> I'm usually a lot higher on Zach. Zach was like, all right, I'm going to grab your arm. Now I'm going to grab your leg. Now I'm going to grab your arm. Now I'm going to grab your leg. And like, it wasn't like Kotobushi was like getting in the, like, like struggling for the ropes and life and death. Like he was just kind of lackadaisical and sitting in these holds. Like they weren't working holds. I don't know what the fuck this was, to be honest with you. I think this was terrible for them. I think part of it, kind of what I got out of the story was, you know, Ibushi, like we mentioned, was kind of on this losing streak on this slump and like Sabre was just kind of overwhelming him. And kind of making you fall into that story of, oh, Sabres can probably get Ibushi out of here. Then Ibushi kind of comes back at the end and kind of gets a quick win. Well, then they should have told that story better, I think. Um, I I do agree. I under, and I understand why that story would make sense because every time they're in the New Japan Cup together, Zack Sabre beats him. This is the third time, you know. Following that logic, you would think, oh, Zach's going to beat him. It's a foregone conclusion. He obviously didn't. But, like, even the ending of the match was stupid. Like, Zach was just doing some shit, and then, and then, like, Kotobushi caught him in a Kamigoye and, and then pinned him. Yeah. That's he, what happened. He, he caught him with a V trigger first and then the uh, Kamigoye. Yeah. It was just like, whatever. I, I mean, he was throwing some strikes in, but, like, uh, Kotobushi had an easy night, man. <laughs> he he had to do shit. Like this was, like, I don't know. If if I was trying to learn how to do a lot of transition wrestling, you know, and have good movement, 
then I'd watch this all day. But as a fan of pro wrestling for a story and everything, I wouldn't watch this. I th- And this was one of the weakest Zack Sabre performances I can remember in New Japan. Yeah, and I th- it seems like this one, people are kind of in the same range. So on Grapple, it's uh, averaging uh, three point. Uh, hold on, I actually got the mix up here. So cage match is uh, it's 7.24, so that would come out to like 3.69. And then on Grapple, hold on, just refresh telling me. Um, I'll go three and a half on it, I guess. Yeah, it seems that's what a lot of people are kind of in that three and a half, uh, 3.75 range. But for, for these two guys, I have such higher expectations than that. Like, yeah. crazy. Yeah, on Grapple, it's uh, 3.69. So people, it seems like people were kind of like that 3.7 kind of range. Maybe some people like me giving it four stars. And I don't know, maybe it was maybe the V-Trigger gate popped me. Maybe that's why I went a little bit higher on it. But I thought it was cool, but, you know, I didn't even think his – I thought – uh, show through a better V trigger in the match before than Kota Bushi did. Did I, you notice yeah, that? Yeah, he did. That was a solid one. <laughs> he nailed him on that. Yeah, I, I just didn't know what was going on here. Like I, I and and again, I think part of it is because there's no audience, and I don't know if Zack Saber knows how to wrestle to no audience. Think about that for a second. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of his style has to do with the surprise element of what he's doing, you know, it's like they're doing something and then bam, he's got him in a submission. You didn't expect it, even though he should expect it came from out of nowhere and the crowd pops. There's no crowd. It's just like, it's just him popping around on his own. And you're like, what's he doing, dude? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You don't get that, that kind of Ooh and off factor of him, you know, switching holes or wrenching on a hold. And Ibushi wasn't like, acting life and death he was laying in a lot of those a lot of it was leg lock based he's just laying in these leg locks so i'm like bro you got a kneecap still like (laughs) he's got you in knee bars and you know he's got you in all these heel hooks like i don't know what is going on and then you know he stands up and he kicks this dude i don't know bro and you know i love it's funny that i'm the one criticizing this i i'm the one who likes the zack saber stuff like i like the kind of like hybrid shoot stuff, but this sucked. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I was I was expecting it to be better. I was expecting it to get to that four and a half, even four point seven five star range for me, and uh, yeah, it was far from that. Uh, yeah, I don't know what was going on here. Next time they need Kotobushi, they need to tell the story where Kotobushi is the better striker, and then just have him kick the crap out of Zack Saber um, for retribution about making me watch this match. <laughs> I, in all fairness, though, I do think a lot of these. Obviously, Zach's like one of the elite. So does so is Kotobushi. I think they, in my opinion, just had a, a misstep or an off night. But I think for a lot of these guys, they're still just trying to figure out how to work empty arena. Right, and maybe even just getting some ring rust off. I mean, they haven't they haven't worked in. Uh, That's know, true too. Months. Yeah, but this is um, I would say, in my opinion, the biggest disappointment of the tournament so far in round one. Yeah, I think this was our most one of our like top two most anticipated matches. Yeah, yeah, and I'm very disappointed. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to the main event here. So we had Taichi taking on the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, I thought this sucked too, and it was way too long. Yeah, I was a little bit low. Like they they kind of got me back towards the end. Uh, Three stars. Oh wow that that low. <laughs> 
bro, this sucked. <laughs> I wasn't that low on it. Uh, I, I was, I was uh, three seven five on it. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm just playing. Uh, what were your thoughts, man? Well, first of all, we got to talk about uh, LOD Tanahashi coming out here with these spikes. Bro, I I don't like Tanahashi coming out with so much hard drip just to lose. <laughs> like, bro, if you're going to flex on us like that, you better win. Like, this man came out so freaking fly. Like, this gear, this new entrance gear, his hair, he came out with the ponytail. Like, this well, man this this man came to, to brawl, bro. Well, he thought he was going to win. So, you know, he had, he had the spikes on, he had a new gear, he he was taunting, Get- and then he got powerbombed. Gato didn't tell him. <laughs> what do you mean? This is a this is a shoot, sir. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, he came out and he looked incredible, and I was like, "Why has this man got the rawest like gear ever right now in an empty arena on like a Monday night?" He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, like he went so hard, bro. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, yeah, he comes in the ring. He's posing. Tai Chi last ride power bombs him. We have a, a big kind of selling segment here, where young lions are checking on him. Red Cheese is checking on him. You know, Tai Chi's telling him start the match. I liked. Uh, okay, I liked that aspect of it that Tai Chi attacked him in the beginning, and I thought the sell was really good and everything. But man, the, this again, this is just more bullshit Tai Chi stuff and. Uh, I didn't like it, man. I didn't like it. I didn't like the layout of the match. I didn't like the pacing of the match. I thought it went way too long. 21, It for me, it went 21 minutes, but it felt like it went like 35 minutes. It felt really long. I didn't think it, I, I didn't think it went, felt that long, but it was kind of long. The opening, like the first half of the match, I was totally disinterested with, with all the Tai Chi cheating. You had Doki out there with the bent pipe and helping... Uh, tai Chi cheat, and there's a lot of cheating towards the beginning, and then I feel towards the middle, once Tanahashi kind of started firing up and started kind of fighting from underneath and making these comebacks, that hooked me and started getting me back into the match, and I really liked this, the last half of the match. I felt like the only thing like Tanahashi was hitting him with were like dragon screws, and I didn't think Tai Chi was like selling them effectively, and Tai Chi, like, I don't know, like, I get it. He's selling for heat. Oh, I, you know what? Okay, I, I was trying to remember what I didn't like about this match. Tai Chi was doing a lot of things that you would do to get heat from an audience. <laughs> but there was no audience. Right. So it really made the pacing and the feel of the match like just feel off and then Tanahashi had to be overly beaten because Tai Chi's not obviously on his level so they had to do a lot of things to make Tai Chi's win believable he had to get attacked before the match he had to have outside interference there had to be a lead pipe there had to be cheating and shenanigans and and basically Tai Chi had to had to start the match with a huge head start in order for it to be believable that he could even feasibly win at the end of it all you know yeah um i did think the end of the match was good but it just felt slow man like um some people might call it effective selling i just thought that they were just going way too slow like they were going move wait another move and 
Tanahashi teases a comeback, but he gets cut off. And, like, I just thought it was slow. I couldn't believe this is the main event. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think the beginning part, the beginning half of the match was definitely very slow. But I definitely feel like it picked up. You know, Taichi hits that backdrop suplex, like, drops Ace right on his head. Um, and then from there, Tanahashi is fighting off, not getting another back suplex. And he's fighting and fighting, and he's trying to hit the sling blade. And then he's finally able to fight back and hit the sling blade and start kind of making that Tanahashi come back. He hits the, the high-five flow, the crossbody version, and he's trying to come back. That look, Both of those moves look bad. What, the high-fly flow? The high-fly flow looked bad, and the sling blade looked bad, and both of them were not in good shape. Uh, I mean, Tanahashi's in relatively good shape, but for himself, he's not. Yeah. And Taichi is in actively bad shape. And that's one thing I thought was why they were working so slow. I don't think that they could keep up a pace to work a high-energy pace. And so, yes, you're right. Yeah, it did pick up once he hit him with the, the high-fly, or with the uh, Saito. But then, like, they were hitting. They're hitting the moves all fucked up looking, and I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, the high flow. The high flow was barely off, and yeah, bro, he hit him. He hit him in the legs. Yeah, uh, Taichi didn't even catch him. Like Taichi <laughs> tried to catch him, and Taichi bent over, and is like, he hit him in the gut and in his legs, and fell over. And I was like, "Bro, this is the supposed to be the like best wrestling in the world. This looks terrible." Yeah, there were there were definitely were some uh, rough spots here. Uh, so towards the end here, you've got Tai Chi hitting the, uh, the axe Boomba, jumping high kick, takes a trouser off, he gets a super kick, the Black Mephisto, one, two, three, uh, Tai Chi defeats the ace. Yeah, um, bracket buster. Um, I've liked all the other Tanahashi Tai Chi matches, and like, man, I don't know, I, I wish I could go through the history of the show and like think of all the times where I've been like, I'm not going to doubt Tai Chi anymore. He has earned my respect. And then like an episode or two later, this motherfucker (laughs) 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 coming out here, giving us this bullshit. Like, ah, and then, and then like, I keep going back and forth. And then I literally went into 2020 thinking like Tai Chi is done with that shenanigans. We're never getting, crappy tai chi ever again and then i feel like we did here and i feel like uh i i'm disappointed and i was actively excited about this match i i didn't like it i i'll go three and a quarter on it wow yeah so it seems like the average on grapple right now is like three and a half i haven't seen the cage match yet so definitely people were definitely low on this match up here and it's a lot of kind of three and a half three point seven five kind of ratings here and for yeah, man. Uh, after the after the match, Tai Chi, you know, cut a promo, um, and then I think I don't know. I kind of fast forward. Doki came out. I didn't understand it, obviously. Uh, but um, they they were attacking Tanahashi. Kotobushi came out to make the save. They had a standoff, and then I don't know. They I guess they double teamed. Yeah, they Ibushi. Yeah, they double teamed Abushi, and then Tai Chi grabbed both of the tag belts. So. And then, yeah, and then he cut more of a promo and they walked off and, you know, the heels stood tall and the Golden Aces looked, you know, beaten and dejected. So that was night three. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I had it wrong, man. Uh, Bushi won. You had, you had Tanahashi, like, going to the finals, didn't you? Um, so in my predictions, I on, on the air, I was going with Tanahashi. But the bracket that I, I made, I actually have... Uh, Sonata going through 
Okay, so I I did the same thing last weekend or last week. I don't know if anyone recalls, but when we were talking about that top third region, I was kind of stalling because I couldn't remember. Like I was trying to figure out what my reasoning is for what I was predicting on the air, but it was because what I was predicting on the air was not what I actually put on paper. Um, what I put on paper was Tanahashi winning and then facing ZSJ, and I got it wrong. But the first bracket that I ever did, the one that I uh, redid, that one I did have Tai Chi winning, in, and I, I, and then uh, going up against Ibushi. But I was like, no, nah, that's just too many upsets. I, I need to be more, you know, more reasonable. I think some of the stuff that you and I talked about kind of changed my perspective. Mm. So you, you, you got me to change my mind on Tanahashi and had him going through. You know, losing to Zack Saber in the second round, and now I regret it. I finessed you. It's your fault. Yeah, you <laughs> finessed me, man. Uh, have a question here from Highest Fly Flow. It says, "What do you guys think about the ta- Tai Chi Tana match and the Tana mark? I wish it went on second to last, and Tai Chi destroyed Tana in under five or six minutes. Tana doesn't need to look good. Tai Chi does. Also, is there anything? Uh, well, it's from. Uh, oh yeah. Also, is there anything more unbelievable than Doki beating up Tanahashi? Um, okay. Uh, he says, I think Vince Russo winning the WCW title is more believable than Doki landing a hit on Tai Chi, on Tanahashi. I, I would just rather they have a good match. I don't care how long it goes. It could go one minute, 30 minutes, as long as it is good and entertaining. I didn't find this to be good or entertaining. Um, I, I don't think Tai Chi could destroy Tanahashi in six minutes. Like, that's like kind of crazy sounding so i yeah. wouldn't I, I wouldn't agree with that yeah i don't think a squash match would help ta- uh, tai chi get over i think a competitive great match would help tai chi get over well he's not trying to get over he's trying to get that heat brother mm. um as far as uh doki uh beating up tanahashi yeah that's uh <laughs> he had a he had a pipe what are you talking about <laughs> Um, I do think that Doki beating up Tanahashi is more believable than um, Vince Russo winning the WCW title. I agree. Yeah, Russo should not have been in the ring at all. Yeah, bro. Like, he's got, like, spaghetti noodles for arms. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and Doki with the pipe. Yeah, with the pipe, you can take out anybody. Doki, I mean, yeah, every now and again, you know, the Putty Patrol get one up on the Power Rangers. I mean, come on. (laughs) Uh, So any final thoughts on first three nights of New Japan Cup? Um, I loved, I I like a lot of what they've done here. I'm excited for the, what's going, going on with the Young Lions in New Japan going forward. I think their futures look very bright and it's uh, pretty exciting stuff. I think the layout of the tournaments has been really fantastic. Uh, we're starting to get a, a better grasp of what's you know on the the horizon. We're going to do a preview here in just a minute for for the next you know couple nights. So that's good. But uh, I really loved you know my, my I loved Nagata Suzuki. I loved Sho Shingo, and yeah, it's been really good. Yeah, I uh, really enjoy these first three nights. Um, some really great matches, and loving the format, and just loving everything. Overall, I've really been enjoying the tournament. So, uh, really looking forward to the next couple nights here. 
um, question here from Howard Schilling saying, what is your overall match of the tournament so far? Um, for me, it's Nagata Suzuki. Uh, for me, it's Sho and Shingo. Nice. Uh, next question from Sir Sam. He says, based on the first round, who is the top young lion? That's uh, Yumora. Yep, I think we agree on that. Yu Yamura. Then he says, has ZSJ been in Japan through the whole COVID period, or did he just fly over early? I'm kind of confused why he and no other international wrestlers made it in. Well, I will say this. I, I don't follow the ongoings and the lifestyles of any of these wrestlers, except for Minoru Suzuki, because his Instagram is just fire. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I, I imagine Zach has either been in the country the whole time or returned you know not relatively recently but a while ago uh, one or the other but that's that would explain why from my understanding i believe he's he was in the country the whole time um so I think, okay so i think that's why obviously that's why he's there and not having a travel ban having to you know quarantine or anything he's been in the country this whole time and so uh makes well, sense why he's the only guy's in you know, it's got to be awfully hard if you think about it being a, you know, if you don't speak the language, you're there in the middle of a pandemic, social distancing, lots of guidelines. Um, I, I wonder what, I don't want to, I, not that I care about is what his living conditions are, but you know, you think about like, you hear stories about a lot of these big cities and with the, the budgets people have, um, it's one reason a lot of people are thinking about getting out of the cities because they're spending exorbitant amounts of money. And then, when they're stuck in their apartments during quarantine, it was like, I don't have anything. I'm just here in this like literal one room and I'm stuck here. And so I, I hope he hasn't been going too stir crazy or, you know, I hope he's got, you know, good, uh, you know, living quarters or something like that. Maybe he's been uh, quarantining with Tai Chi. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Although I, I don't know one, one of, one of them, uh, you know, looks to be in the exact same shape as he was prior to everything, and then you got Tai Chi. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move on to New Japan Cup previews for this week. So we got two shows uh, for the rest of this week, uh, June 23rd and June 24th. So night four, June 23rd, we have Hiroshi Tenzon versus Yoshihashi. Bushi versus Yo, Kojima versus Evil, and Goto versus Yujiro. Yeah, so this this night's interesting. I think the the big thing here, and Jeremy, you just tell me if I'm out of line here. These matches don't matter as far as who's winning the tournament. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, I think that there can be some really good storytelling elements that come out of it, some really good matches, and it'll be intriguing to see who goes forward. But ultimately, Tenzan, Yoshihashi, Yo, Bushi, Kojima, Evil, Yujiro, Goto, any y'all want to see them fight Naito? Nah. Any of them? Well, like, Kojima, come on. I want to see Kojima, but that's about it. Other than Jeremy? Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is, this is um, it's funny how like the bottom two brackets have been really soft. Like the bottom two regions. Yeah. And yeah, so, I mean, we could talk about these matches. I think we can keep it pretty short, though. Yeah, I mean, Tenzan, Yoshihashi, I think Yoshihashi. Yeah, I think Yoshihashi's going through there. Tenzan's on his last leg. He got beat in the tournament last year by, uh, oh, God. Um, what's wrong with me? 
Taguchi. Taguchi beat Taguchi beat Tenzon in the first round of the New Japan Cup. That should tell you something. Um, I do think the one thing I will say, Yoshihashi is very serviceable, even though he's not our favorite guy. He might be able to lead. I've seen him have matches with guys that you would think he wouldn't have good matches with, like Makabe and things of that nature. And this might be ten. You know, who knows how many more singles matches Tenzon has in him. So maybe we get you know a tope out of Tenzon. We might yeah, get maybe uh, yeah. We might get a good effort here, but um, I'm not expecting much. And obviously, I think Yoshihashi's going through. Now we got Bushi and Yo. Um, I think Bushi's going to get the win here. I've got Bushi getting the win here, but it really wouldn't make a big difference to me. I just don't know what story you're telling when you have Yo win. Um, if Bushi wins, then you kind of have a heel foil for Yoshihashi. If Yo wins, then you've got stable mates and in different weight classes. It doesn't really make it's not that compelling to me. Yeah, and I think with Yo using like we, Yo losing like we talked about last week, you can set that story up. Now, show is one, yo loses, and you kind of start the uh, the tension between those two. And on the flip side, I mean, Tenzon wins hypothetically, and you, you you send yo through to him. That doesn't sound too great either, because you know, so I I just think it's most likely yo's not winning here. Um, Bush, Bush, these two guys very familiar with one another. They should have a good match. I, I I'm not a big Bushi fan, uh, as I don't think you really are either, Jeremy. Right? He's he's fine. He's fine. Um, but I've never seen Bushi and Yo have a blowaway match. I've seen I, I've seen them in multiple blocks against one another, in, in uh, you know Super Junior blocks, and obviously they've fought each other in tag team matches a million times. And I can't remember anything compelling ever happening between them two. So I don't want to be too much of a downer. I just it should be good, but not great. Yeah, Bushi's gonna Bushi's gonna strangle this man. Bushi is going to choke him with a shirt. Not the shirt he's wearing. He's got to get that merch, but a different shirt. He'll have two <laughs> shirts for this one. Then uh, Kojima Evil. Um, that will be good. I think it's going to be the match of the night. That, that well, probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, two big, beefy men slapping me. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um you know, my heart, I, I I want Kojima to win. I want Kojima to go to the next round, but I think uh, Evil's going to go through. I mean, this is a toss-up. There's no reason Evil could, like, couldn't lose. Kojima could go through. It'd be fine. He, he's serviceable. Um, but, you know, Evil's a bigger star. He's higher up in the stratosphere, and we've seen quite a few upsets, and this one wouldn't really serve too much of a purpose unless they have big plans for Kojima, which I don't think they do. Um, so I think you go evil. Um, can you see any reason? I mean, the next the next uh, wrestler that they'd fight is either Goto or Takahashi. Is there any reason to send Kojima through? Kayfabe-wise? Not, not really. I mean, unless, like you said, like you're going to plan to heat him up this year. He's going to be in G1, have like one last you know, crazy year, but... Yeah, I think it makes with the story of you know Lij being in the tournament, Naito the champion. It makes sense to send a lot of these Lij guys deep in the tournament. Shingo's already out, um, so you, you need some more Lij guys kind of moving forward here. And it's a possibility of an evil Sonata clash here if both these guys keep advancing. Yeah, so I think evil, and I I'm pretty sure evil is the favored guy in this bracket most likely. So 
Um, I'm going to give the nod to Evil, but this is the one I feel the one of the least uh, confident oh. about. I, I'd go like 70-30 Evil. Okay. So you're saying there's a chance. I do think there's a chance Kojima could win. I mean, because it doesn't really matter who wins this bracket. So ultimately, who, who gives a fuck? Like, <laughs> let Kojima, you know, give some dude some Weston Larry. It's fine. Yeah, let's hit that Koji cutter real quick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, then the main event this night. Uh, go. You know, we're going to talk about it later, but like MLW might be having like some sort of working uh, arrangement with New Japan. Like, Yes. And, you know, we, we saw the anthology that it dropped a couple weeks ago showing those great Kojima MLW title defenses. It was excellent. Check that out. Let this, let this man Kojima go back to get his title. Yes. Get that Koji cutter. I don't know, who's the champ? Oh, uh, Jacob Fatu. Hit that Koji cutter on Jacob Fatu. I was gonna say I don't even know who the champion is. Like I, I mean, who? Yeah, I guess it's Jacob Fatu. Who knows? Um, the main event. So the last match. Yeah, Goto and Yujiro. People sleep on Yujiro. I know he does sometimes suck, but like sometimes he puts in a good match, and oftentimes it's during the New Japan Cup. So yeah, I'll be, I'm hoping we'll get one of those performances. Um, no, there's no uh, Peter to distract him, so. Yeah, and there, you know, the last time I remember him being in one of these cups, uh, he cut a backstage promo discussing how, you know, a good performance in the New Japan Cup is his ticket back to the G1. He hasn't been in a G1 in a while, so we might see him come in here pretty motivated. Goto's definitely the guy to do it against. I mean, this could go any number of ways, you know. We could get inconsistent Yujiro, inconsistent Goto. This could just suck and be, what you know, by the numbers, whatever. Or it could actually be pretty great. I mean, it, there's no reason it couldn't outdo Kojima Evil. It possibly could even. Um, I also think there's a chance Jiro could win. Yeah, honestly, I think this one's another toss-up because you could have Evil Goto. They have history. You get your little Never Strong style match, or you could do Evil Yujiro, and it's you know you have the heel Yujiro and you know trying to cheat to beat Evil. I think I'm going to give the nod to Goto, just like probably yourself and most people, and kind of expecting evil against Goto again, which I'm not a huge fan of. But looking at the possibilities, that's probably the match I would hope for the most. Um, but I mean, Yujiro could Yujiro could sneak one out. I don't know. It doesn't matter. At this point, it doesn't matter. Night <laughs> Night Force kind of just a throwaway night. Like this is a half fun. This is a participation trophy night. You know. Yeah. So then we move on to night five, June 24th, which was the start of the second round. So we'll have Kazuchika Okada versus Yuji Nagata. What do you think is going through there? Oh, man. Okay, so I've got to say Okada, right? Yeah, I mean, at this point, honestly, I think Okada's going to the finals. That would be my um, initial thinking. Now, the one thing that's got me kind of questioning that, the one thing is, why did they have Nagata beat Suzuki? You need, you need your New Japan Cup upsets, man. This. I That's true. But there's still... Okay, the only reason I booked Nagata to go through is because I think he is someone that is beatable for Hiromu. Now, trust me, I'm not holding out like hope that that happens. I think the most likely scenario is ultimately in Okada, Hiromu, you know, semifinal. 
But with that being said, could Nagata beat Okada? They've only wrestled one time ever. It was in 2015 during the G1 and the B Block, and Okada defeated Yuji Nagata. That is the only time they have ever faced one another in singles competition. Could Nagata, who is a former ace of the company and who is rebounding off of a big win over uh, Minoru Suzuki, could he get a win over Okada so that he's the sacrificial lamb for Hiromu? He could, but I think it's very, very slim. Like I would literally be shocked if Nagata ends up beating Okada. I think that they should have had, at this point, in my opinion, I think they should have had Suzuki win. Um, just for this reason. If you look at the trajectory of Okada's run, it's pretty soft. <laughs> <laughs> you got him in that bottom, that bottom third... Um, region and you've got him beating Gato who is old and, and a, a non-wrestler and a manager and a junior then in the second round you have him fighting Yuji Nagata who is a tough competitor but just literally came back from a life and death war with Suzuki and he's really old um, let's see how old Yuji Nagata he's is 52 yeah, bro, he's 52. Holy crap. Okay, so he, he's fighting a 52-year-old, you know, way past his prime dad. After that, he's either fighting Kanemaru or Ishimori, most likely Ishimori. So as great as Ishimori is, it's another junior. And then he's most likely fighting Hiromu, who, as great as he is, another junior. So you're talking three juniors, two old people, no contenders. Who the fuck made this bracket for Okada? Who is in his pocket, bro? What what is going on? This sound rigged. That is some rigged <laughs> ass shit. Sounds like Gato is secretly still for Okada. <laughs> um, I think o- Okada's had, joined the Bullet Club. Like at least if Suzuki won, then you have like someone who is like menacing, and you kind of like okay, it's quality quality win in the heavyweight division, you know? Yeah. Was. Like who's Nagata beat in the heavyweight division other than you know um, Suzuki recently? Like nobody. Like this, this is some <laughs> bullshit. Uh, you heard it here first. Okada is joining the Bullet Club. This is all a master plan by Gato to get Okada back on top. So I, I'm fine with it. I mean, I think Okada is probably going to beat um, Nagata, and it'll probably be a really good match too. But I'm just kind of like, yeah. A little, I'm a little surprised. Now, part of me wants um, like Nagata to win, just to kind of keep my hopes and like alive, like my bracket. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but yeah, I, th- I think the ace is he's going to take it home here. I agree. Uh, it should be good though. Then uh, next up, we'll have Togi Makabe versus Tomohiro Ishii. Say what you will about Makabe, but there's one person that draws the old Makabe out every single time. That is Tomohiro Ishii. These guys have had countless vicious and violent wars against one another. I expect that. I expect more of the same here. Let's just hope that we don't see a bunch of unprotected headbutts because that's usually what we get here. But this should be awesome, and I expect Ishii to go through. Yeah, expecting Ishii to go through as well. And yeah, it should be a nice little strong style match here. 
Then we have uh, Toru Yano versus Hiromu Takahashi. Um, that one is interesting. So, you know, some people kind of hand-waving it, but um, are you familiar with the history between Toru Yano and Hiromu Takahashi? I know that uh, I think Toru Yano shaved uh, Hiromu's head back in the day. Yeah, so when Hiromu was a young lion and uh, Toru Yano had more of a, a, a heel, a violent heel kind of personality uh, at that current time, during a one-on-one singles match, uh, he shaved the head of young lion Hiromu Takahashi uh, before he went to excursion. Um, and this is something that they've been playing up in the post-match um, interviews. Like Hiromu was like on the ground. He's like, not Toriano, anybody but him. I don't want to face him. And <laughs> yeah, so like he's well, like just... Yeah, because at first they were like, uh, how do you feel about your history of Toriano? And he was like... What history? I've never faced Toriano, and then he like snaps into. It. He's like, "Oh no, I don't want to face <laughs> Toriano." <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 pretty funny. Um, I expect Hiromu Takahashi to win. Um, there's always that caveat, you know. Yano's a heavyweight plus a trickster. Um, I expect there to be some sort of shears or scissors involved in this match, playing up to the past history uh, with the haircut. But I don't know what kind of shenanigans to expect. I don't think this match will be great, but it should be fun, entertaining, and I think Hiromu wins. Yeah, it'll probably be a comedy match. And yeah, I think, yeah, Hiromu will end up pulling out the win and outsmarting Yano. And then we'll have uh, Taiji Ishimori versus Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Uh, these guys, like we mentioned last week, had a long rivalry in Noah, in which Kanemaru has defeated Taiji Ishimori. I believe it's 11 times in a row. Taiji has never been able to beat Kanamaru in, in their history and their rivalry. So New Japan kind of bringing that to the forefront here with these two guys facing off. Well, that's all about to change. Ishimori. Yeah. That's all I got to say about it. Ishimori <laughs> going to beat that ass. Yeah, I think Ishimori is going to get the win here. And I think it'll be kind of, you know, kind of a good story for, you know, Ishimori to finally kind of get that big win here. You know what this is like? It's like when you wait till your dad is really old and then you beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, you couldn't you couldn't fuck with him like when you're young, so you wait till he's real old and then you fight him. <laughs> <laughs> and you win. <laughs> yeah, that that's what's gonna happen here, Bone Soldier. That's what that's what this is. Yeah, Shredder Shredder's gonna come out here, squash this man like he's a ninja turtle, and get the win here. Nice. And that that's our preview. Um, any other, you know, at this point before we move on, I mean, any other progression, uh, you know, so, I mean, what do you, what, what are we kind of thinking as far as where we're at with the cup? Because uh, I think I see Sonata fighting Okada in the finals. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. As soon as Okada won, I'm like, we're getting Okada Sonata in the finals. They're telling this Okada Sonata story still. Sonata's going to beat Okada, get this big win over Okada again, and then go on to face Naito. Yeah, I'm disappointed because I, I made some ballsy calls and some of them paid off as far as my predictions and felt happy. But now the one thing that messed me up was Okada and that busted my bracket, I think, long term because I was hoping to get Hiromu and Sonata and it seems like we're getting Okada Sonata and I think most likely Sonata's going to beat ok- Okada, right? Yeah. Yeah. God, what if they have Okada just win this thing again? Yeah, steal Okada Naito. <laughs> They could, man. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. All right, so we've got a few questions here and then a couple news stories. 
Uh, so first from Reddit user Grunty Dawes, it says my routine for watching NJPW was to catch a show after work and then check out Larry Kasanka's star ratings. With Larry's passing, can you suggest another critic who reviews all the NJPW shows and posts them quickly? I don't think there's one particular. I mean, let's be clear. There is nobody who who can fill that gap for Larry. There's no one person. Larry Larry was that one person, and that is that's it. Um, that being said, there are some good resources. Um, I know they've got some reviewers at at four one one Mania. I don't know how extensively they're covering this stuff. Uh, Voices of Wrestling, they have a rotation of reviewers. Unfortunately, they don't review everything, but they're doing a pretty good job most of the time throughout the year. Um, Backbodydrop.com is another one that I think they're UK based. I don't always agree with their um, ratings per se, but they they have pretty good write ups. Um, good stuff from those guys. That's who comes to my mind. Yeah, uh, Voice of Wrestling. Yeah, they have reviews on the first three nights up. You can check them out, but it's, it's a different reviewer usually all the time. It's usually not the same guy. That's what I don't like about Voice of Wrestling. I love Voice of Wrestling, and I think they're really invaluable but because they have different reviewers you're not getting a uh, like a steady consistency consistent opinion and i'm most of the time i'm really just looking for those star ratings yeah. to be honest with you just to kind of get a general idea of something with larry i didn't always agree with larry but i at least kind of knew his tendencies and trends and when you have four or five different people you don't know what to expect you know there's no baseline yeah uh, then um, Wrestling Observer, F4WOnline.com, they have all the reviews up. I'm not sure who's doing those reviews. I'm not sure if it's the same person or if it's different people. But they have reviews yeah. up usually pretty quickly. Um, yeah, those are the main ones. If you're an Observer subscriber, you know, Dave reviews them every week. It's not a daily thing. Uh, Grapple, Grapple app is actually really good if you just want to look at the star ratings because if you don't click on the match, they will they don't actually tell you who won the matches. Right. So you can at least get the star rating that way as well. It's not a write up, but it's it's not a bad uh, you know it's not a bad resource. Yeah, and uh, it's not daily, but you know weekly. Like I mentioned earlier on the show, WrestlingHeadlines.com, me, Sir Sam, and Imp, we're dropping some. Um, not, they're not full show reviews. We're kind of taking our top performers and top um, top matches, but it's a, another kind of format for reviews there as well. And then weekly at joshsmith.com, I review their <laughs> reviews, so you can check that out. And uh, also, if you want to throw some money down, uh, Voices of Wrestling, uh, Joe Lanza, he's doing daily audio for um, these New Japan Cups. So if you want audio reviews, uh, Lanza's doing daily audio there for those tournament reviews. So. Nah, fuck that. Do you want to pay money? to hear Joe Lanza's opinions on daily wrestling matches, or do you want to pay money to have nice, clean-smelling balls? <laughs> Nerdy wrestling? Have an active, you know, extracurricular outside life because you took care of yourself. You know the way to go. Trust me. <laughs> suplex. Su- use the code suplex. Trust me. <laughs> Uh, next question here from Senor Sombrero 3K. Says, it's been a while since I asked anything, so here goes. If the rumor of Hiromu moving to heavyweight were to ever happen, where do you think he would be in the pecking order of the division? Personally, I would see him in the level of just below the big four or five. Ta- Okada, White, Ibushi, Tanahashi, Naito in no order. Um, I mean, you also have to consider there's other guys that are kind of in in the company 
I mean, there's Ishii, there's Goto, there's uh, ZSJ, there's Sonata, Shingo. there's Shingo, there's Will Ospreay. I don't even know that he goes up to heavyweight, but if he did, he would be more in line with the guys that I named as opposed to the guys that you named. Yeah, he would kind of start off in that kind of mid-card type division. And I don't know that he beats all those guys that I just named. Like, if if, if he was in a G1, I think he would go, like, six, like .600 probably or something like that, a little over 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Hiromu if this is kind of the start of him elevating to heavyweight and if he will be there. But yeah, I definitely, He needs to stay at junior. I think if he goes up to heavyweight, he will kind of be kind of stuck in the mid-card division for a while because there are so many talented heavyweights there as well. Um, I think I think he needs to stay at junior for a little while. I'm not saying I'm opposed to him going to heavyweight. I think he can do it. I, I, I don't think size-wise he really should. But I think charisma-wise, business-wise, he's a big enough star and personality to go there. And talent-wise, he can do it, and it would be great. But I don't think now is the right time at all. Like, not even a little bit. Like, the junior division would, like, effectively be kind of dead without him. They don't really have much right now. Yeah. And the, the heavyweight division is brimming with stars and talent, and it's in flux with all these different stars. I mean... We didn't even mention, when we were naming all those guys, I mean, we didn't even mention, like, Kenta, Naito. I mean, it's there's a lot. Yeah, and Junior Vision has taken a hit recently. I know we've lost, they lost Osprey, lost Shingo. Then right now with the pandemic, a lot of juniors are gaijin, so, you know, we don't have any Robbie Eagles right now. There's a lot of juniors that are that can't come into the country right now. So, yeah, I definitely think Karomu is very valuable in that junior spot, but I could definitely see down the line at some point him going up the heavyweight. Uh, next question here from our user Asayo Jimbo, who's your pick for New Japan Cup winner? So I think we're both in agreement. Sonata, right? I guess it's Sonata. I had originally picked Hiromu. I would prefer to get the Hiromu against Naito match personally. That's why I'm hoping that Okada loses to Nagata because then I can. I think we. I think that my booking comes true. Yeah, personally. And, yeah, and I also. In my bracket, had Hiromu going to the finals and winning and um, facing uh, Naito. I think, you know, we didn't get the Naito match at anniversary show. Let's do it now. So, yeah, I mean, it would bust my bracket if uh, Okada lost, but it would lead to the better matchup. Yeah, I think um, Okada against Nagata literally becomes one of the most important matches of the entire tournament. Yeah. Uh, then he also asked, what do you guys think of Jinsei Shinsaki? Saw a video on him recently, remembered how awesome his gimmick was, and watched some of his old matches with the likes of Kijimoto, Great Sasuke, and RVD slash Sabu. Yeah, man. I mean, um, Hakushi's great. I can't sit here and say I've watched as much Michinoku Pro as other guys, or Osaka Pro or whatever, but, um, you know. His matches with Brett, his matches with one two three kid, his matches with Kijimuto, you know, his stuff in ECW. You know, there's there's a Hakushi Undertaker match out there from Japan somewhere. I, I, I he's he's great. Yeah, he's, I haven't seen much Hakushi, and I haven't really gone back and watched much of his stuff now that I'm an adult. But I remember kind of growing up as a kid, I always thought he looked cool, and 
how had some cool matches. You know, there's there's the Bret Hart match that's um, talked about a lot. That I think I believe was on Raw. Um, He's got two. He's got an in your house and a raw match with uh, Brett. They're both really great. I will say, as a kid, I I thought he was boring as fuck as a kid. I didn't <laughs> like him. At, bro, he didn't do anything. He put on like a nerve hold. I mean, I understand wrestling, so I I thought he sucked. But <laughs> as an adult, I realize he's really great. Uh, moving on to the next question here, Reddit user PSAN91 says, I've seen the news that New Japan announced more events that will have an audience in attendance through the end of July. What do you think? When do you think we will see shows of full capacity again? Do you think Wrestle Kingdom 15 is too soon to run a full capacity Tokyo Dome? I don't know. Uh, it's possible, but you know we're in Florida, where it seems like we might be on the verge of another shutdown, literally. So I don't know what is going to happen going forward. I hope that the cases stay low, but until there's a vaccine, a treatment travel bans kind of get you know I, I don't know like can gaijin come to japan for for wrestle cam it seems not like likely so i i just don't know i mean january seems like a good goal but i don't know if that's a realistic expectation i think yeah it just all depends on the number of cases in japan is kind of the effects of you know them running shows with fans you know dominion's going to be the first a set of shows with fans and it's kind of the kind of effect of that. And so if cases continue to stay low and nobody at the shows get the virus, I think, you know, slowly we can slowly increase that capacity and maybe by January or maybe, you know, after that at some point we can start getting full capacity again. Yeah. Uh, next question from our buddy William Johnson in the Wrestling Squared Circle. He says, bigger championship wins so far in 2020. Naito winning both top titles or Juice Robinson winning over Tony Storm? How dare you, sir? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, uh, I will, in, in the light of current allegations and the current climate, I, will, I refuse to answer this question. Well, I will say, you know, Tony Storm is not a title. She's not a prize. She is not a championship. She's a, 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 a lovely young lady. and She's a human being with the heart of gold and an incredible soul. So, so for that, I'll just say uh, Naito. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with that being the case, though, um, Juice, Juice out here pulling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, next question here from Kyle Martin in the Wrestling Squared Circle. He said in the Shibata episode, you guys mentioned that Katsuyora was technically a second-gen wrestler. Aside from the Tongans, could you name any other second- or third-generation Japanese wrestlers? Um, ever? I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's been some. Hashimoto's kid wrestles. He kind of sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I think Ricky Dozen's kid might have wrestled. I don't know. Yeah, I can't think of none. None really like popping in my head right now. There's some Joshi wrestlers that I know, but I'm not obviously as big on Joshi, so I I don't know. Was it Daichi Daichi Hashimoto's kid's name? I think so. Yeah, yeah, he sucks. Uh, uh, Shota Shota Umino's second generation, kind of. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, his dad wasn't a wrestler, but yeah, I mean, second generation of the business, yeah. for sure. Um, and he also says, in New Japan's entire history, is it only now in the past decade that NJPW has been the number one Japanese wrestling federation, both performance-wise and financially, and in retrospect, were they ever the top promotion prior, or have they always been plateaued as a number two compared to All Japan, NOAA, and the UWF? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, that one is a little bit more open to interpretation. I think you would probably need to talk to someone that's a little bit more of a historian than, say, us, because I don't know that we're qualified to give a precise answer to it. I will say this. Um, New Japan, ah, what's the best way I can answer this? The whole war with New Japan and All Japan in the 80s and the 90s was never really a set fixed thing. I mean, I think a lot of people like to have this perception that one of the companies was the quote unquote WWF and the other one was the second fiddle, but it never actually was that way to the best of my understanding. If, if I'm wrong, you know, someone could correct me, but um, they just had different audiences. They had different business methods. They had different venues and they had different varying degrees of success you know, and they were both extremely hot at similar times. And, you know, um, I think a lot of the like shifts in momentum had to do in the 80s with what happened with the UWF, but also with um, Ricky Choshu. Like when Ricky Choshu was in New Japan, they were at the hottest they'd ever been. And then when he went to All Japan, same thing business went down for them so i mean it, it was a war but it was a much more even war as opposed to like the monday night wars here in the states you know we we kind of point to that what was it 93 week period yeah where yeah yeah it wasn't like that you know there in japan um i i think for the for the majority of its existence new japan has always been one of if not the top japanese product um, if not in ring, at least popularity wise, I mean, there, there was a period, there's definitely been periods where all Japan was neck and neck or maybe even higher. And in the two thousands, there's definitely a period where Noah was the preeminent company. Like there's no denying that. Um, I would not say that UWF was ever bigger than them. They might've drawn bigger houses for a period of time. But there's a reason that when they did the crossover, pretty much all their guys lost to New Japan. They didn't have a TV deal. Yeah, it wasn't the same thing at all. So um, I guess that's just a convoluted way of saying that, like, they've always been one of the top dogs. And it's not really a clear-cut answer as far as, you know, their standing. But as I will, the one thing I will say, it's not just in the past 10 years. It's been since 72 since they've existed that they've been one of if not the top you know company yeah well that wraps up all the questions there so we just have a few news items here so it just came out last week on njpw1972.com that four more events will be happening this summer on the new japan summer schedule so after dominion there will be a show july 20th new japan road which will be happening at Corkin Hall. Then they will head to Nagoya on July 25th for Sengoku Lord. And then after Sengoku Lord, they will 
have the Summer Struggle shows, and this will be happening at Corkin Hall. All events will take place with strict measures to counteract the spread of COVID-19 and thoroughly check uh, the event policy for those shows if you're planning on going. And um, further events will be announced upon careful monitoring of the developing global situation. So, more shows of fans after Dominion. Uh, as of now. Yeah. Hopefully things stay chill. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other news item here New Japan has announced a new show Featuring up and coming talent Facing establishing stars Starting in July The show being called Lines Break Collision Which will start airing on July 3rd At 10pm Eastern Running at the same uh, time and Running against uh, 205 Live Which airs on WWE Network uh, The show is slated to air throughout the month uh, The announcement noted that former MLW Heavyweight Champion and radio host For uh, Wrestling Observer Tom Lawler will appear on the shows. Uh, the July card event will feature Alex Coughlin versus Clark Connors and Jeff Cobb and Rocky Romero versus TJP and Carl Fredericks. Other wrestlers scheduled to appear will, will include Mysterioso, Russ Taylor, Danny Limelight, and the DKC. Um, so just to kind of give me a brief rundown. So they're running four more live events in July. So after Dominion, so yeah, the lines break is already all taped. No, no, no. But I'm just trying to get a, a recap. So they're doing four more live events in July. Is that correct? Yeah. And then the lines break thing is this, a, from what I understand, is this a weekly TV show that will be airing every Friday? Yeah. So every Friday on the network, um, at 10 PM so, Eastern. So are they planning to keep doing this going forward? Like they're going to keep, uh, you know, creating content for their, for this, for the, what it's called lines collision, lines break collision. So are are they going to do a lines break show every, you know, every week or, you know, taped for Friday nights? I don't know. There hasn't been any further discussion on the plan. Um, we, We don't even know if like what the plan, like if they tested these guys and kind of what the setup was in the, in the LA dojo where they filmed in LA um, so I'm guessing if it all went well and it goes over well, then I guess they'll tape more stuff in L.A. But for all of July, we'll have these shows. And I guess if it goes well, then they'll continue it on. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting idea. Some of, I mean, the big name, obviously, is, um, you know, Tom Lawler. Is it Tom Lawler? Yeah, Filthy Tom Lawler. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's someone who I've we've heard rumors about for, uh, you know, at least a year now. And it's exciting to kind of see him, you know, making the, you know, the jump over. Um, I, he's still affiliated with MLW. They kind of uh, alluded to this. So one has to wonder if there's some sort of like, I, I, I'd hate to say working relationship, but some sort of arrangement, you know, in place, uh, you know, to allow this to happen. But ultimately, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of. I, I definitely will check it out, but it, it feels like you know a couple more shows just being added that have no actual kayfabe water or weight to them. Very similar to like the shows that they did uh, here in the U.S. Uh, earlier in the year that we went to. Yeah, most of those shows ultimately didn't really matter in in the long scheme of things. Very very few eventful things actually happened aside from a title change. 
Yeah, and we did have a question here from EMJ Does PR thoughts on the U.S. Weekly Show announcement, and is this NJPW getting a bit savvier about its U.S. approach? Um, well, we kind of share our thoughts. I think it's uh, not a bad idea, but it depends on the implementation. If it is a weekly show going forward, I don't know. Maybe this, maybe they could parlay this into some sort of U.S. TV deal. Um, I wouldn't say with this footage specifically, but maybe if they were pre-taping something for the U.S. market plus compiling that with like their weekly pro show, maybe they'd have some sort of new new thing that they could, uh, you know, market. That might not be a bad idea. Um, it could help for expansion, but again, it's a lot of this goes back to what we've always complained about, and it's marketing. I mean, we're the guys who do one of the few really successful new Japan podcasts that are out there in, in the States. And I say that, you know, trying to say that, you know, with not like to blow us up or whatever, it's just the truth. And we don't really know that much about this. So I guarantee you that 99% of wrestling fans out there don't know what this is and probably aren't going to be tuning into it for that very reason alone. You know, like you have to have a subscription, then you have to kind of, know about it and then you know they need to be putting out content that's interesting good you know um compelling investable and if most of these matches don't matter i don't know i don't know how savvy that really is right it's just like two more matches every friday night is like and if they don't matter then what's the point of even tuning in doing it yeah Yeah. i mean obviously diehard wrestling fans will probably watch it i mean i'm gonna watch it but for the casual, for you know, people you're trying to bring in or people who are only watching the big matches, like that's not going to be something that, that attracts them. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think the big answer is getting a TV deal. They need a TV deal. But I'm like, do they do like an NWA power? You know? Something free that's that's widely viewable, but then it's got to be good. I don't know, man. I It's tough. Yeah, so... Yeah, we'll see what happens with these lines break collision shows if they turn up being good or if they end up doing more down the line. Watch Tom Lawler and like Narita put on like a five star banger, and, <laughs> oh, and then and then like for the next two years, you guys have to see Lawler Narita. No one watches it. Yeah, it's just us. <laughs> oh man. Uh, and then last thing here, the, the Monday free match of the week is Prince Devitt versus Kota Ibushi from Dominion 2011 for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. So go ahead and check that out on YouTube or NJPW World for free. And young boy, that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Bro, you didn't do a recommended match of the week? Oh, wow, dude. I totally forgot about that. I bet you didn't even, you didn't even watch... My recommended match, did you? El Ganeshi. I did not, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll forgive you because we've seen it before, so that's fine, and I kind of gave everyone a rundown. If you guys haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. But off the dome, can you provide us with a recommended match of the week? Let's see. Um, recommended match of the week. Uh... I'm going to say go back and watch uh, Sho and Shingo from Best of Super Juniors last year. That's that's more than solid. Absolutely. I de- you know what? I was planning to do that this week anyway, so absolutely. 
So yeah, check that out, and you might notice some, maybe some more callbacks that you didn't notice the first time from this year's show, Shingle Match, that we just uh, watched and reviewed this week. Nice, man. Alrighty, well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back with coverage of nights four and five and any other news that drops throughout the week. If you enjoy this show, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. In the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group, you can find us, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling square circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. I'm just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Issue Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And then on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's Bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.